The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll discuss the road to new beginning and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Discord server, socialsuplex.com Discord, and check out our Wrestling Tees store, wrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Young boy, how you doing, man? I am feeling... Like the stakes of this show are heightened right now. Well, why do you feel like that? Well, I mean, nobody's gonna see this episode, <laughs> but I feel like maybe we should let the cat out of the bag about our future plans and what we're testing out right here, right now. Yeah, so some of you might have seen uh, in the Discord uh, server that uh, you saw some backdrop. So, yeah, we are. Testing out uh, doing live video with the show um, So we're, we're doing a test right now. So also you guys can't see it And so we'll, we'll be doing probably some tweaks and tests over the next couple weeks and uh, I'm thinking probably maybe end of February maybe like New Japan Cup time We might be ready to go to a fully roll out and launch live video version of keeping a strong style now I, I said that to say this like if anything is off in the audio, it's me being self-conscious because while yes, we always have the video running, which is part of the beauty of doing a video podcast. Cause why wouldn't we do it? We're me and Jeremy are already looking at each other. Anyways, we might as well fucking put that out there, but this is the first time it's mattered what we look like and what we're doing. And I'm used to doing all sorts of foolishness that nobody is aware of while we're recording the show. So now <laughs> I'm feeling self-conscious. I feel like a kid, I feel like the first time we ever did this show, you know, get ready to talk about our, the the ROH and New Japan partnership. <laughs> it's a, a new beginning here for it, uh, it truly is a new beginning. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there, there will be uh, more details to come with the um, when we fully roll out the live video 
Cause yeah, uh, we got some cool stuff going, but I got to tell you, Jeremy, I'm not prepared for this. Like uh, this is truly a test. I gotta, you know, I gotta get my lighting game up. I gotta get my angle game up. You know, we're, we're going to have to be presentable and not look like ragamuffins in front of, in front of the adoring audience, you know? Yeah. I had on this like janky, just like a white undershirt. I was like, man, I better go put on a wrestling <laughs> shirt. Let me touch my hair up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, big things coming down the pike. Um, I don't even know if that's what you say down the pike, whatever, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, but aside from that, you know, nothing crazy has been going on in the world of wrestling lately. It's just been a, a very quiet news week, essentially. It's been uh, an amazing week for <laughs> WWE. It's, it's, it's what I heard. You know, what? I, I started to laugh, but like the, the 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 shit that's been going on and that's been coming out this past week in regards to, you know, TKO, WWE, Vince McMahon, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's not even funny. It's just disgusting. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. have a, we have a question about it later on in the uh, oh, do we? on the bottom half, so we can we'll touch on it a little bit uh, towards the end of the show. But yeah, we're not really a WWE podcast, but it is sort of the thing that is just out there in the zeitgeist going on. So yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll address some of that just a little bit. But uh, you know, some some crazy shit, you know. And it's <laughs> it you know when you kind of take that into consideration, the the allegations and. You know, Vince leaving the company and then the TV deal they just announced, Okada leaving New Japan, like all in the same week. It's got to be one of the craziest news weeks in, in wrestling history. Yeah, it's been like a crazy uh, first month of the year. And, you know, one thing that's obviously a very, very minor inconvenience to the main scope of what's happening with the whole Vince stuff is, you know, like... I'm like the wrestling guy in a lot of people's lives to like oh. non marks. Yeah. And so, you know, this stuff's like breaking the news now. It's like all like live news channels, like websites are covering it. And everybody's like, oh, what's going on with all this Vince stuff? Oh, what's what's up with Vince? And I'm just like, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, we, I guess we digress. But, uh, yeah, we're gonna leave that to Imp and to uh, <laughs> Trish and Sarah and, and uh, uh, One Nation Radio. One Nation Radio, you know, good luck, guys and girls. Um, one thing I want to say before we jump into this, because I just got to get it out there. Tunnel Talk is my new favorite podcast, bro. <laughs> I, I love Tunnel Talk. It is the fucking funniest <laughs> show. There. I I'm literally dying laughing an hour and a half. However long their shows are, like. Great, literally, like this week's episode, they're talking about the whole the bat situation that happened to them, and from opening the show to the end, like I'm dying laughing. Yeah, like I literally, I I, I love that show. It's so ridiculous. There's so many just funny, poignant points. Like hearing those girls over there um, kind of just break down um, some of the nonsensical things that happen in the wrestling space through the eyes of like a novice wrestling fan it is like why like for instance like they were talking about the other day like you know Samoa Joe like called security on someone they're like why does he have the ability to call security on anybody 
Brady. Right. <laughs> like, if he can do it, why can't Hook just be like, seize him? <laughs> it's some funny shit. So, yeah, you guys got to check that show. All the shows, this is a strong time in the history of Social Suplex. Uh, all the new shows that we've added, I've been listening to all them. And, uh, you know, that plus the continued excellent work from, you know, all things elite, One Nation Radio. Um, yeah, the, the, the network is rolling deep right now. I think it's kind of a little bit of a secret that we might have, dare I say, the strongest lineup of podcasts in the space. Yeah, it, it's a great lineup and definitely probably one of the best um, in social suplex history. Uh, yeah, I, I love Tom Talk. Trish and Sarah, they've been great. Like, the way that they dive into stats, especially Trish, like they're they're busting out the the demos and ratings and attendance numbers. And I, I don't want to really put them over too much because I feel like low key they're they're smarter than us. They and, are, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel threatened, so I'm not gonna put them over too. <laughs> no, Trish and Sarah are, are they're phenomenal, man. Like they're really good. So yeah, yeah. Who needs Dave Meltzer anymore? I, I'm. Gonna gonna cancel my observer subscription. I'm just gonna listen to Trish and Sarah all the time. I don't I've just been using Rich's observer <laughs> subscription for like six years. <laughs> he doesn't he gave it to me once. I don't even know if he remembers. Like I, I know his login, I know it all. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, uh let's talk about some new Japan pro wrestling. I know there was a uh, somebody on X that didn't want us to talk about uh, last week's shows, but too bad we are going to talk about. <laughs> why didn't you? Why didn't you read their question? Because <laughs> uh, uh, hold on, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. You're, uh, you're aggravated. <laughs> What's uh, funny is I was gonna I was gonna respond once I saw it with a really funny snarky comment but you put the you like circumvented that by putting a professional sounding response but had it been me things would have gone a totally <laughs> different way yeah the person was like i don't like the idea of reviewing cork and chills from last week i think it's pointless and we should just focus on upcoming cards is it too late to right. change the format of the podcast yeah they asked us to change the format so let's not talk at all about what happened on 123 and 124 let's just Dive right into what's happening on February 4th. So, El Desperado, Oleg Bolt. <laughs> oh, man. I, I know. I know. Why, why are these matches happening? They, they have n- no connection or correlation to what happened last week. Absolutely none. So, you know, not necessary. <laughs> you, you know, at Social Suplex, I know we are, we're always ahead, but it's going a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess we can review these shows. I mean, I'm kind of rolling off the vibes on a lot of this. I mean, I watched it. I don't think all of it necessarily needs in-depth coverage, but there was, I thought that both of these shows were very, very good Cork and Hall shows. I went, I did watch them after we got that comment and I was like, why does this person not want us to review these shows? These were good shows. <laughs> yeah. Pat Corn, Cork and Houses. Yeah. They, they were, were some pretty good shows. Um, so January 23rd, we had Road to New Beginning, Cork and Hall. Uh, we opened up actually with Master Watto coming down to the ring, um, coming down on crutches. He tore his ACL, so he's making that announcement known to the fans and you know, saying he's going to come back stronger. And then he was jumped by Show, who he was supposed to 
uh, face on the card and shows hitting him with the bad knee with the wrench. And then Desperado comes and makes the save, which uh, is going to set up a uh, Desperado show match for this coming week. Yeah, so um, strong angle to start things off. Master Watto's out, and uh, you know it's going to lead to some fresh opportunities for others to uh, get on the tour down the road. Here, it looks like. Yeah, in the news, I have the the full list of people who will be replacing uh, Watto Musashi, being one of those guys who uh, was in the Super Junior Tag League that teamed up with Fioke from uh, Michinoku Pro. So, in the news, we'll go over the full lineup. But yeah. Uh, bummer for uh, Master Watto, but I I hope that this is a um, a blessing in disguise, and that you know he'll take some. T- obviously, I think you know Toronto ACL is probably what like nine months to a year out. Um, so I hope that in that time, like he can come back, kind of more repack, repackage, a fresh look, um, and maybe it's even an alteration to the whole Master Watto thing and. And kind of come back on a, a better note. Yeah, I mean, I'm no doctor, so I couldn't speculate on the length of time he'll be out. But I guess we'll find out soon. And once we have the news on that, we'll let everybody know. Yep. So then the show opened up. We had Young Lion Katsuya Marishima teaming up with Rusuke Gucci, And they defeated the other Young Lion, Shoma Kato and Yo, 8 minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah, nothing major here. Just... uh you know, Taguchi and Murashima uh, working well. Um, last week, I was a little bit critical of these two new young lions, Murashima and Kato. I feel like they're serviced a tad bit more being protected in tag format matches for the time being. It kind of gives them a little bit more structure. And, um, you know, there, there's a little bit more of a formula and less reliance on them to do the heavy lifting in these matches. Yeah. And uh, Taguchi got the win here with the Oh My Girl Ankle uh, tapping out Kato, uh, which also kind of plays into their story because both guys are trying to get their first win over each other. Um, so Murashima in the backstage promo is kind of talking about, you know, being happy he got his first win, even though he didn't get the, the submission win. Um, he got the first win on uh, over uh, Kato, but also he wants to uh, pin Kato by himself and get his first uh, singles victory. So then uh, moving on to the next match, we had the team of TJP, Francesco Akira, Great Okan, Hanare, and Callum Newman, the United Empire. They defeated the Bullet Club War Dogs of Alice Coughlin, Clark Connors, David Finley, Drill Maloney, and Gabe Kidd, 11 minutes and 34 seconds. Yeah, I feel like um, on this tour, the, the feud that's kind of, unfolding between these two groups is one of the most entertaining things that's occurring on the tour, but it's also not receiving the most focus. Uh, and maybe that's due to like, will not actively participating in the matches. And that's one thing that I think some people could, you know, point out as a detraction for why they're not necessarily in love with this whole program. Plus, you know, there's the, the whole thing with Finley sort of being the, the, you know, one of the main focal points of the entire feud. Plus, you know, um, there's other things kind of going on surrounding this where you've got uh, Finley gearing up for a title defense against um, uh, Nick Nemeth, the former Dolph Ziggler. That's kind of looming in the, in the wings. Plus, 
again, Will Ospreay is on his way out. But in the midst of all that, those are things that you could definitely, if you wanted to be a uh, contrarian and really point out all the things you don't like about this, there's, it's not a perfect feud. But what's awesome about the feud, these guys are fucking each other up. Every time they go out there, it's super, super heated, and it's a bunch of dudes that are on the precipice of potentially breaking out this year and kind of are looking at that power vacuum that we've talked about for the past few weeks, and they're trying to make their mark. And you've got you know, Gabe Kidd and uh, Toa Hanare and um, Callum Newman and even like Great O'Conn just going out there and busting their asses night after night in these matches, and they're electric and they're probably the highlight of the tour right now yeah this has been the best part of this tour this very heated blood feud and i love the matches are that they're very intense and that they're not that long they're going you know 10 minutes and the next night they they went like six minutes it's very short and intense because these guys are they're, you know they're brawling at the beginning they're going at each other um they're telling great stories throughout and also one of the, the main stories is with Francesco Akira, who he got the win on this match. He got a roll-up on Clark Connors, which is interesting because uh, Connors and Drilla are challenging Catch-2-2 this week for the junior tag team title. So the the champion gets the pin on the challenger, but then also there's this whole story of, you know, Akira, he doesn't want to be a part of this five-on-five cage match. He's kind of traumatized from when they jab the fork in his eye. Um, and so he's all, all he's really concerned about is defending the junior tag titles. And he's like, you know, whatever. Well, I'll, I guess I'll have to do the cage match, but he's really just focused about the titles and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that kind of continued the next night as well. So yeah, Akira got the win there. And then the following match, we had the bullet club team of Chase Owens, Kenta and Taiji Ishimori defeating the GOD team of ELP, Hikaleo and Jado. Nine minutes and thirty-two seconds. Um. Yeah. I. I. This is. Uh. You know. I guess following what I just described as being the high point of the the tour, I feel like this is one of the low points of the tour. Um. But there's still a little bit there to sink your teeth into. I mean, say what you will about Kenta in the ring, he's still extremely popular in, in Corkin, and he's still got enough like creative juices to do a few interesting things to kind of get the crowd involved and, and, you know, invested. Um, You know, there's also another thing here where Ishimori and ELP, they sort of still have that history when they tag together and ELP had some hesitancy and apprehension to, uh, you know, engage in, in any kind of serious uh, violence against Ishimori. Ishimori didn't feel the same way. And I got to tell you, I don't really get it because Ishimori was one of those guys that ousted him from the bullet club. And, you know, Jeremy, I appreciate you, but and we're, we're basically <laughs> tag team partners, but, you know, if you beat my ass and oust me from the network, like, I'm I'm not going to have any apprehension to run it later on. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. It's it's blood feud. <laughs> yeah, it's a blood feud, but, you know, whatever. I guess you'll piece off. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, the crowds are really, I mean, we did that interview with uh god elp and uh hikaleo and they were telling us you know how over they are with the the audiences there and since they've said that i've really been paying attention and it's absolutely true so you know uh not for nothing they've got a lot of you know 
audience support and, and fan support. One thing I love, we haven't talked about this too much. One thing I love that uh, the new GOD is doing because they've got the double gold, or I guess the double silver, I don't know. Uh, when they go out for their title matches, they take their title belts and they put them on a little kid at ringside. Yeah. And, and I'm like, that is incredible because, you know, while while Cody's over here spending like 150 bucks a pop and giving people out <laughs> his weight belt, these guys are just handing them the titles and then they take it back when it's all said and done. And the kids say thank you because they got like a once in a lifetime experience, you know, holding these you know, 20 pound belts. Uh, I think it's a great gimmick. Yeah. And I think they will fuck an older, older couple on this show or the following night. So yeah, they're getting out there with the fans, giving them the kids, giving them to older couples, giving them the ladies. And yeah, it's kind of getting the fans involved. And yeah, that's a great idea. Take a picture with the belts. You get to hold the belts for a little bit. Great memory. And then mm-hmm. they get the belts back at the end of the night. No money loss. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, they, and they made someone stay. I mean, what a great way to babyface yourself. So yeah, real real workers. <laughs> um, so uh, Kenta rolled up Jado here for the clean pin, and um, you know these guys, uh, Kenta and Chase, are going to be challenging for the heavyweight tag team titles coming down the pike here. Um. They had the strong title match that we talked about last week, which they lost, and I don't understand why they're getting I don't that. even know if they do, because <laughs> Kenta's like, I, I don't need a strong title to prove that I'm strong. I just need the IWGP title. So he's pulling a Hulk Hogan in 1993 <laughs> is what he's doing. <laughs> he's like, the, the strong titles are a trinket on a, you know, they're just a toy. They're a toy. <laughs> you know. I want the IWGP tag team titles. <laughs> and um, I did notice Kenta is still the defied champion. You know, I feel like we, when we did last year's excursion match of the year list, I think we maybe watched one Kenta match the whole year, which was like a speedball Mike Bailey match. And that was from house of glory. I don't think we watched any of his work from defy. He's the world champion there. I, I'm pretty sure he had a, a pretty well-known match with like a uh, Nick Wayne just a total like dark spot in our, you know, viewing. We didn't, we didn't watch any of that. And I think it's just because we knew like, yeah, it's Kenta. Kenta. (laughs) Then that was 2023 and now we're in 2024. (laughs) And yeah, (laughs) but he is uh, giving them some much needed publicity, carrying that belt out there. So, um, you know, kudos to those guys, but uh, yeah, I guess they don't even know why they lost those belts or why that even happened. But they're going to march on and try to win those IWGP titles. Um, one last thing with this. Um, Chase Owens apparently had hurt his back. I don't know if this was kayfabe or if it was a shoot, but he um, had been he needed assistance uh, walking to the back post-match. And on uh, social media, he was complaining about sciatica pain. So uh, I don't know if that is something that's going to play into the remainder of the tour or not. But, uh, you know, that was kind of the fallout from this match. Yeah. Uh, then following that, we had Hanare join on commentary, and that led to the next match of the TMDK team of Kosei Vegeta, Mikey Nichols, Shane Hayes, and Zack Sabre Jr., defeating the Chaos team of Okada, Ishii, Tanahashi, and Tomioka Hanma, 13 minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah, um, great seeing these two teams work together once again. Um, you know, the second to last Cork and Hall match for Okada and emotions were very high. The, pe- the crowd was going crazy, not quite as crazy as the next night, but definitely, 
you have to imagine that uh you know the the numbers that they're doing for these two shows a lot of that is off the back of okada making his final appearances here yeah and we got a bit of a tease between uh you know the story that would uh play out the next night between Co- you know young lion kosei fujita or you know not young lion but former young lion kosei fujita and ace of the company kazushika okada yeah and i'll build into that never six man match and yeah those guys uh looked really good in there mixing it up um so yeah so we'll talk about that when we get to the, the never uh six man match and i enjoyed this match a lot that was a great preview oh one other thing um as far as commentary goes because you mentioned hanari jumped on the commentary booth uh not perfect but throughout the night he was starting to catch and drop a, a few little translations from the japanese side of things so you know uh hats off to that guy he's he's picking it up yeah good good job hanare so yeah it was walker stewart on call because uh chris charlton was sick uh so yeah hanare came in uh did a commentary with him i i also want to say i saw some critiques online prior to watching these shows i saw people kind of complaining a little bit just different corners and i don't know if this is indicative of what other people feel but this is just something i saw i saw it like in a facebook group and i saw it a little bit on reddit I saw people kind of complaining about the commentary. So I was like, oh, okay. Oh boy, here we go. And then I tuned in and I was like, I don't know what anyone's talking about. These two nights, this is the best Walker has ever sounded since he's got to this company. And that's not necessarily to be unexpected. We did say that as time goes on, he'll acclimate himself to the product. He'll learn more of the backstories. He'll learn more of the maneuvers and, you know, the characters and what have you. And I think he's really starting to kind of put it all together. And for the first time, him having to call majority of the show by himself. And, you know, there were were quite a few uh, promos that were just Japanese only. And so him kind of having to infer what's going on. um, I thought he did great. And I thought he did. I thought he was even stronger the second night. So um, whatever he's doing, I mean, he needs to keep it up because he's starting to really get it, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I thought he did a great job here. And yeah, Hanare was a great uh, help as well for him. So good stuff there. Um, and yeah, Sabre gets to win with the uh, cross arm breaker on Hanma. Oh, and I love I loved the way that that all played out, by the way. Yeah, Sabre. Like he, he, got, he got him in the triangle and then he transitioned from the triangle to a straight arm bar. And then, you know, more to the traditional, you know, arm bar, like the cross arm breaker, as we call it. So it, it was it was a great transition. Yeah. So then uh, following that, we have the House of Torture team of Evil, Renarita, and Yujiro defeating Shoto Umino, Tamatonga, and Togi Makabe 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Gotta send that that traitor, Tamatonga, off with the L, you know? <laughs> Walking out on this company. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, one of the uh, last Korkins for uh, Tamatonga here, uh, similar to Okada. And yeah, continuation here of the the evil and uh, Tamatonga stuff, and then also Renarita and Chota Umino, and Umino kind of chasing and chasing and trying to get his hands on Narita and, and beat him, uh, but that was not the case here this night. Um, Ren was able to uh, let's see who got the win here. It was, yeah, Ren hit the uh, the workout bar on Togi Makabe to uh, get the win here. So Ren kind of getting the momentum going into the next night where uh, he would face Umino in the main event. So then uh, following that, we had the Just Five Guys team, Doki, Sonata, Taichi, Taka, and Uomura 
They defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Suji. 11 minutes and 32 seconds. Um, yeah, we got the rare... Uh, oh, you know, I apologize. I was thinking of a different match. Um, yeah, this one came down to, essentially, at the end, Shingo and Takamichinoku and Takasagai's sort of been uh, a bit on, on a roll lately, kind of picking up unexpected victories. And that's why I almost started to say the unexpected victory because for some reason in my mind i started to think that taka had won here and then i was like oh wait no he got he got obliterated by <laughs> by shingo uh but he did kick out of the pumping bomber which i feel like you know maybe last year if he got hit with that move that probably would have been the end but he was able to kind of show endure that move kick out and then you know take another one and i think he got power bombed and lost after that yeah um, so, um, but no, this match, uh, Taichi got the win. Um, this match, Taichi did the super kick. Oh, am I thinking of the next night? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Ah, uh, my bad. Um, you know, I, I'm not really too sure how I'm feeling at this point about, you know, LIJ and just five guys. Cause again, it's a rehash of a lot of what we saw, uh, in the lead up to, um, Wrestle Kingdom and, I was a little bit optimistic about this program once we hit New Year's Dash where it's like, okay, it is a bit of a rehash, but you know, there's some there's some character development and it looks like they're kind of building the story uh, for these different feuds. And that was kind of good, but through the rest of the tour, it's kind of stagnated. The one bright shining spot has been the stuff with um uh, Suji and Uemura, where they're continuing to escalate their feud and and kind of build a lot of heat with one another. And uh, post match here, they were just like brawling all over the ring, and it just kept going and going and going. And that's and they also, in my my opinion, right now are like two of the better, you know, or more entertaining performers um, on each team. But like the stuff with like Naito and and Sonata. I mean, I guess it's not a surprise to anybody, but like, it's not really doing much for me. And I was hoping that they were going to take a turn after the kind of character switch that we sort of uh, were that they were alluding to at the end of New Year's Dash. Yeah, kind of a double, double, um, double turn. But uh, yeah, I, I think for me, uh, Shingo and Taichi and yeah, uh, Uemura and Suji have been definitely the highlights in this. Faction feud that's happening here And so um, after Taichi got the win I believe this promo here is where he had, um, Announced that they wanted To do the the faction Warfare gauntlet that's going to happen uh, This coming up week where um, Essentially it's going to be like a Gauntlet style match where you know One guy from each faction starts You beat the guy the next guy comes out And you run it until you go through All five I can't recall the last time they've done Um you know, a 10-man gauntlet like that. So that's pretty awesome. I didn't even pick up on that because I didn't uh, go back and listen to the, uh, you know, I didn't watch the post-match um, translated promo. So I didn't realize that that was what they announced there. But that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, and then after that, the main event here, we had uh, El Desperado successfully defending the IWGP. Junior heavyweight title against his former partner Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Twenty-three minutes and fifty-five seconds. 
yeah, we got a good uh, video package to open things up here. And, um, you know, there's a lot of backstory given the fact that these guys were stable mates. They were tag team uh, partners, multiple time tag team champions, and really had like a student mentor type relationship with uh, Kanemaru sort of being in the mentor role. And, uh, you know, now these two guys facing off against one another. Um, Desperado has lost all but one of their matches, uh, even though he's, you know, for the past few years been slotted higher in terms of, you know, standing within the company. That seems to not have mattered every time they face each other in like best of super juniors, like Kanemaru just sort of always has his number mm -hmm. and kind of added a bit more levity or like gravity to a lot of the near falls where Kanemaru had a lot of like, he kind of reminds me of like, um, even though he was cheating a lot and I know we complain a lot about house of torture shenanigans and that was definitely here, but they kind of did the, the style of match where that stuff got uh, defeated throughout the match and the match was able to kind of continue. So it, I, to, for me, it didn't detract too much, but this sort of reminded me of like when you watch uh, like boxing and there's like an old man boxer who, who's like not as young and not as fast, and not as strong, but he knows all the tricks, the dirty tricks to like get a leg up on the competition, sort of like Bernard Hopkins or something. Yeah. That's like what Kanemaru was here. Like he was able to use every little, also this kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, Remember in the Cruiserweight Classic when Brian Kendrick wrestled Kota Bushi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking love that match. And, like, Brian Kendrick is doing every single little sly thing he can try to do to, uh, in that situation, like, survive Ibushi. He's almost wrestling him the way I would wrestle Undertaker and beat the streak mode, just trying to survive. And Kanemaru was a, a little bit that way here, like, just doing every single little thing he could do to get an edge up on um, Despy. And Despy pretty much was just focused on one thing the whole match which was attack the leg injure that knee and get him in the numero dose and tap him out yeah that that was the game plan and so yeah despy uh went for that there and yeah eventually you know throughout all the shenanigans you know we had everybody running out you had um you know show was out there narita um tanahashi came out uh tam tonga was out there Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Tanahashi was looking rough when he was uh, chasing these guys to the back. Uh, he was not running very did well. He look at, did he look as rough as some of those bumps that Minoru Suzuki took on Wednesday night? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but then you also had Evo and Togo out there. Tama Tonga uh, ran out to, to make the save there um, as well. So that led the opening for... Um, Kanemaru went to get the, the whiskey bottle, Desperado knocked it away, got the numero dose in, and got the submission victory. Yeah, I, I thought this was a strong match. Uh, I wouldn't say, like, you know, a, a blow-away match or anything like that, but for some reason, like, I think it's partly that, like, even though Kanemaru is this legend and somebody that, uh, you know, I enjoy his work, but I don't always anticipate his matches. I don't have this, like, I kind of, I guess I grade on a curve when it comes to Kanemaru because I'm not expecting him to go out there and give me the same kind of caliber match as like a Hiromu. So when it's real, when it's good, I kind of give him a little bit more credit. So I'm like, yeah, he worked hard. And I feel like that's what him and Despy did. Like they told a great story. Um, there was a lot of drama 
Um, a lot of really great near falls. I, I, I'm probably, I'd probably go like three and three quarters, maybe close to four on this. I thought it was very, very good. Yeah, I'm probably like, uh, probably like three and a half on it. Uh, but it was a really good match to kind of close out the cork in and continue to kind of get Tam Tonga involved and kind of give him his last moment in cork in and, and kind of get the crowd involved with the, the, the good guys kind of getting the win here. Uh, one other thing, too, I'm loving Desperado kind of rocking the half mask where, like, his hair is exposed because he yeah. doesn't usually do that. This is a good look for him. Yeah, I'm digging that, too. So uh, we move on now to the next night, uh, January 24th, also from Cork and Hall. We had um, Oleg Bolton and Choma Kato. They defeated Katsuya Marishima and Toriano, six minutes and 24 seconds. Yeah, very much a shocking victory here. Normally, when you see a team of two young lines versus a team of a veteran and a lion, it's pretty much a, a very safe bet or even virtually guarantee that the the veteran in so especially a, a, such a crafty and sneaky one like Toriano, who, you know, low blows and, and rolls up the best of them, even in just regular matches, you would have kind of expected him to be doing that to show Makato here probably. But no, nah, they gave Oleg Bolton the win. He he picked up the clean victory over Murashima. Um, I don't think I've seen him use the move he used here. And I don't know what you would call it, essentially. It's uh, it's the same setup that Kenny Omega uses for the uh, You Can't Escape, where he's got them in the um, fireman's carry position and then does a front forward senton, um, like a flipping senton. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what you even call that move. I've seen a lot of people use it, but I don't. I don't have a specific name for it. But yeah, I don't know what the the textbook name for it is. I think it's just like a rolling barrel. <laughs> or a roll. I get. Yeah, maybe. A, yeah, I don't know. Or but, like a rolling Samoan drop. I don't know. Well, it's not Samoan. Samoan drop goes backwards, and this is rolling forward. forward yeah. I guess we could call it a an inverted Samoan drop. I don't know. It it, it, it was weird, but um, I'm, I'm gonna call for, it the Boltonator. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it was it, it's a good uh you know kind of first finishing move for the guy because i haven't seen him use anything like that and i think that that kind of um this might go a little unheralded by those who aren't paying attention but for like the geeks like us i'm like damn old bolton picked up a, a pinfall victory over another young line in a match where you know yano's there it's kind of a big deal yeah that's a big deal i thought i saw yano there i was like oh yano's gonna pin uh Shoma Kato and uh, kind of go from there. But now, yeah, Ulta, uh, Bolin Ulta gets the win here. And again, similar story to the the first night. Um, Kato this time on the winning side. And so, you know, he kind of, quote unquote, has a win now over Morishima. And so now they're, quote unquote, even with um, tag victories, but they're both still aiming to get the, uh, the first singles victory over each other. Yeah. So then uh, after that, we had uh, Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Tiger Mask, six minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, You know, and right now we're building to the match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson. However, obviously, Danielson has uh, obligations and dates over in the U.S. with AEW. So they got to find a way to kind of build the feud and in order to do that, they're kind of doing a, you know, whatever you can do, I can do better sort of situation. So, um, you know, this past Friday, we saw um, Brian Danielson take on Yuji Nagata on uh, what's that? Or actually, it was Saturday night. What is that show called? Um, Collision. Collision. Yep. 
Yeah. So, you know, you got Danielson over in the U.S. fighting a New Japan dad on collision. And then, you know, as the counterpart, you've got Zack Sabre Jr. doing a special singles match against uh, Tiger Mask 4. And I thought this was a lot of fun. And obviously, you know, when you see Tiger Mask versus Zack Sabre Jr., you kind of have to lower your expectations a little bit. Like, you're not going to go out there. You're not expecting to get a five-star classic. But what we did get was something that was very different, very, you know, we never see these guys go one-on-one and they told a very great story. It was very technical coming out of Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson later on in the tour. Yeah, um, I thought it's been a great kind of display here. Yeah, the technical mastery and these guys kind of, kind of wrestling as some of the older kind of technical legends. And so, yeah, I thought... Uh, Tiger Mask looked pretty good here, and uh, yeah, Zach uh, eventually got him with the uh, double arm bar here to get the win, and yeah, get ready for the match with Danielson. Uh, we had a question here from Reddit user Bungholio underscore the mighty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, uh, now the big three, Okada, Tama, Osprey, are leaving. What are the chances of Zack Sabre Jr. winning the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship? You know, when I think of New Japan, I think of the big three. I think Osprey, <laughs> Okada, Tamatonga. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know how they're going to recover from this loss. Ain't nobody uh, realer than Gorilla. <laughs> um, I, I think that the chances of, of Zack Sabre Jr. winning the title are exponentially higher um not just because of those guys but also some of the other you know exits from the company in recent years the the big one being like uh jay white so with jay white and will osprey leaving i mean he's pretty much the top you know foreigner in the company right now yeah i kind of felt like this was already going to be zach's year even before we got the word that okada and um tama and stuff were leaving uh, I just felt like with the momentum that he's continued to build every year, just how great he is. Um, and then also with Will leaving, that was, that was kind of the bigger sign of like, all right, like there's a room for Zach now to slide up. But yeah, def- definitely now with Okada being out. And I know Tamla's not really a, always a, a main event guy, but that is a, another foreigner that they do push, though. Um, at least a lot of room to push Zach Sabre, push TMDK, and yeah, finally let Zach capture the uh, world heavyweight title. Uh, moving on to the next match, we had the Bull Club team of Chase, Owens, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori defeating the team of Hikaleo, Jado, and Risuke Taguchi. ELP uh, got sick, um, and so Jado, or actually uh, Taguchi, uh, filled in for ELP for this match. Yeah, I liked at the end of the match where... Uh... Chase Owens got on the commentary and he's like, he'll be scared, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say here. Uh, you know, um, down the stretch, Jado put uh, Ishimori in a uh, uh, crippler crossface and um, Ishimori was able to reverse that into a cradle for the one, two, three. And, uh, you know, we're still continuing the Chase Owens, Kenta and Hikaleo date. Down, you know, date with destiny for the IWGB titles. <laughs> yep. Um, following that, we had a House of Torture, Evil Show, Kanamaru, and Yujiro. They defeated El Desperado, Tamatonga, Tomoka Hanma, and Yo. 
Uh, so once again, uh, Tam on on a losing hand and here on the the way out in his uh, last Cork and Hall show under uh, contract. Yeah, um, again, a house of torture match, a lot of shenanigans. Not too much to say here. Um, Hanma ended up eating, and everything is evil at the end of a you know cheat laden match, and House of Torture picks up the win there. Um, Tamatonga, I don't think this isn't his last match with the company, right? No, they're doing uh, God versus God in Osaka or Sapporo. Yeah, I thought I'd heard that. So, um, which I think that's a little bit more befitting of you know an exit for him and maybe T. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows what the status is of Tamatonga. You mean I mean Tangaloa? Yeah, Tangaloa. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you know. Evil has kind of gotten the better of Tamatonga as he's being ousted from the company or, you know, as he's leaving. So they kind of uh, won this battle. But I think by the end of the night, we'd see that, you know, Tamatonga and Hantai end up winning the war. Yeah. And uh, so show um, hit Desperado uh, with the title uh, after the bell um, untied the mask, ripped it off, and ran to the back with it. And so, show has kind of been goading Despy here to get a uh, title match, but uh, Despy said he'll face him, not for the title. So, uh, we do got Despy and Show coming up this week on one of the Cork and Hall shows. You know, and I think a lot of people were sort of expecting that we were going to have Master Watto defeat Show to set up a potential title match between Watto and Desperado, sort of a continuation of the, the bromance story that they had going throughout the last quarter of 2023. I personally don't think that I think show was going to be, uh, I, I just think from a face heel dynamic and the, and for how much they've been pushing house of torture on this tour in particular, mm-hmm. I think a lot of those folks that were expecting this, you know, good guy versus good guy. I love you. You love me, but we respect each other. So let's fight each other sort of story. You know, I don't think that was going to happen. I think show was going to cheat and probably pick up the victory over Watto, you know, knee injury or no, no knee injury and was going to be the next challenger for, uh, for Kenamaru, because I think it just fits with, you know, Kenamaru got the title shot. Then after that, you get show, you know, and it's all House of Torture themed. I think that's the way they were going to go anyways. Yeah, it kind of fits this whole, yeah, House of Torture versus Hauntai rivalry that's been going on. So, yeah, you have Despi, yeah, knock off Kanamaru, and then, yeah, go after, have show be up next. So, uh, show will probably end up beating Despi um, to get a title match, and then, yeah, he'll defend the title against show maybe. Uh, I hope I hope they don't do that because I'm not a big fan of when the times when New Japan does the non-title match leading to the title match. They used to do that a lot as yeah. like a filler. I just feel like if um, if the plan was for Show to beat Watto, like that would have been like the win that Show needed to challenge Despy. So for them, they're probably like, oh, we'll just have him beat the champion to get the match instead of beating Watto. Nah, bro. They don't need all of that. Like it's New Japan. People just walk out from the back. People just send in videos. They don't work for the company. They, you know, they jump the barricade. Like it doesn't fucking matter. There's no rankings. You know, this is not AEW. This shit don't matter. Like you don't even get a you don't even get a qualifying win. You just name your shot. 
so uh, following that, we had the Bull Club War Dogs of Coughlin, Connors, Finley, Drilla, Gabe Kidd. They defeated the United Empire team of Cal Newman, Francesco Akira, Great Ocon, Hanare, and TJP, six minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, in the post-match, we had an angle where the Bull Club War Dogs sort of isolated Francesco Akira. And, he, you know, again, him being the focal point of some of the story leading into the cage match uh, kind of echoes what Jeremy had said earlier. And they... oh. I'm thinking of the right angle, right? They held him down. They almost cut his hair. Uh, so Akira in this match, they um, they they pulled the fork out and almost jabbed him with the fork again. Oh, it was the okay. You know what? I thought that they had a razor and they were going to cut his hair. That makes more sense why he was so <laughs> disturbed. Because <laughs> I was watching this and I was like, man, like it's just hair. Like it's fine if they they give you a little buzz cut. Like this man had shaved head before. Yeah. I didn't realize. It was before. Yeah. I think you're mixing up the, uh, the Tama angle where, uh, Tama got his hair cut from. No, you. I knew, I knew that they were unrelated. I just thought they were recycling. I thought I was like, you know, bullet club, war dogs, bullet club, house of torture. They both cut <laughs> people's hair. Like, I guess just what we're doing now. Not everything has to make sense. In New Japan. I didn't realize it was a fork. Okay. So that makes more sense. So they, they all ganged up on on um, Francesco Akira and they pulled the fork out and they were about to jam it into his face again. Mm-hmm. And then in that moment, you know, the the the, the, the other members of the United Empire kind of came in and uh, saved him. And then um, Francesco Akira like stormed off to the back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and he was the one that ate the pin here. Um, so previous night he pinned Connors this time. Connors got him with the no chaser. Uh, DDT um, And so yeah then that, that whole angle went down with the fork um, And so yeah Akira again Traumatized from the first time They jabbed him with the fork in the eye And doesn't want any part of this cage match um, and Another interesting Angle um, in the backstage comments uh, The War Dogs are all Cutting their promos And you know talking smack about the cage match And then you know Finley's talking And then Gabe Kidd just starts going off And he's like would you shut up and then Gabe Kid did not like. Oh that. yeah, he told Gabe Kid to shut the fuck up. He didn't and like that. Gabe Kid didn't like that, and he fucking stormed off. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I did. I did. You listen? Did you watch or listen to the um, backstage comments on these nights? Because I did. Um, I only I saw that War Dogs one. Um, hmm. and there was one other one I saw. I didn't see. I didn't watch all of them. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw that. That one got some uh, attention online, so that's how I saw it as well. But um, which um. Again, that leads, into oh, a, that leads into a question we got from uh, Def Triangle 720. Do you think the tease of Gabe walking off in the post-match will lead to anything? Hard to say, because uh, sometimes, you know, I think that this company is good to kind of paying attention to what people are saying and what some of, especially like with this being a Western group, they're probably paying attention to the e- English-speaking fan base. And you're hearing that sentiment from fans that they would rather Gabe be the leader of Bullet Club than, say, David Finley. So they might just play off of that work, you guys, and make you think, like, oh, we're going to tease something. But to me, this could be a red herring where it's just a tease of something that's never going to pay off. Or it very well could be, like, a Gato-style little breadcrumb that, you know, given enough time, it'll, it'll all pay off. 
yeah, I do find it very interesting that now both teams have one guy that's kind of off. Like Akira's not fully mm-hmm. with this thing, and now Gabe is showing some friction with Finley, which I think that's very intriguing because that leaves the door open for like, all right, is yeah, is Gabe gonna turn on Finley, or is Akira gonna like walk out on these guys, uh, and maybe yeah. even turn? Um, I think it's a tumultuous time for both groups because with Will Ospreay leaving the company, it puts the, you know, the existence and the leadership uh, of United Empire very much into question. And then, you know, with Bullet Club, uh, at this point, it's just such a splintered, diluted group. And there does seem to be some sort of disconnect between, you know, what Bullet Club even is at this point. So, um, I, I think that this upcoming cage match is going to be very pivotal. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. I, you know, and I guess this isn't a review sh- or a preview show for that show yet, but I think that it's going to be um, kind of like a turning point for both, you know, both factions. Yeah, we had a question here from uh, at the JML. Do you think they make United Empire versus War Dogs cage match escape the cage? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, you know, because New Japan has never had an escape the cage cage match. But then again, neither had AEW until Saturday night. So. <laughs> I mean, there, there there are 10 guys in this match. I, I hope that, you know, somebody <laughs> would, would do a job here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I hope it's not escape the cage. I hope it's, and you know, they might add elimination, but I mean, I think one pin to win. It's fun. You know, one thing I, I saw, I saw, um, I don't know if this even means anything, but Will Ospreay shared a, a custom picture that a fan made for like a promotional material for the upcoming cage match. Um, we shared this on our Twitter. I like retweeted it. I thought it was a cool picture, but um, he mentioned that he was going to spend his last match with the company behind black bars. And that's a very specific thing to say. Like, because we've been wondering what kind of cage are they going to use? What is the apparatus? And, you know, looking back at the way uh, the, the old 2003, 2004 new Japan proper cage was that Konami cage, uh, which was the black barred cage. And I'm wondering if, if that's what they're using this time. And that's why Osprey said the the phrase black bars. I don't know if it's a, uh, or maybe he's just speaking at a turn and it's, you know, he hasn't seen the actual cage, but I'm wondering. Yeah, maybe that was a little uh, breadcrumb teaser from him for yeah, what to expect for the cage. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be very uh, interested to see what they do because, you know, uh, I guess we'll talk about it later, but they just they haven't done that many cage matches, so yeah. especially one like this. Uh, so next match, we had LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Suji defeating Taichi, Taka, and Uemura, 10 minutes and two seconds. Okay, take everything that I said the previous night's review about Taka <laughs> and Shingo, copy and paste it here, and that's what you had. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's this match here. And uh, so, yeah, towards the end, it was, yeah, Shingo getting the win, right? Yeah, he killed Taka. Yeah. Like I said earlier in the night. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and again, Suji Nuimura. 
that that rivalry there was a there was a point where i was starting to personally feel a little bit lulled out from it but it's starting to really heat up and it's not just this professional thing or just two guys kind of glaring at each other like they're really like digging in and getting it and fighting and going nose to nose and beating the shit out of each other and like i i love that that kind of fire and um yeah i i think it's great yeah um, so then after that, we had the just five guys team of Doki and Sonata defeating Hiromu and Naito. Yeah, this was extremely shocking because my dog Doki picked up the one, two, three over Hiromu Takahashi in a very unexpected turn of events, and Hiromu was. Uh, thoroughly disappointed and just like stormed off to the back and was just so uh, beside himself. He couldn't believe that some riffraff from the the gutters and the slums of Mexico City in Doki defeated him with a clean pinfall. It just he couldn't (laughs) imagine it. Yeah, he was uh, freaking out. Um, Yeah, kind of, you know, old school kind of Christian cage, uh, you know, temper tantrum. and so, yeah, freaking out about this. I mean, they have a singles match uh, coming up. Um, so, yeah, kind of a surprise win there. Kind of cool for Doki to uh, get that spot and get that win. And we know they have great chemistry, and it should be um, a pretty fun match. Yeah, I, I am wondering. So we're getting a singles match between them. Is that what this is? Yeah. So on, I think it's um, one of the Poro shows. It's going to be all LIJ versus... Just five guys in gotcha. uh, singles matches. Well, this is on me. I should probably pay more attention to the cards that have been announced. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that makes a little bit more sense as to why Doki. I, I was like, where are we going with this? You know, we, we strap in the rocket to Doki. Like, let's fucking go. It's, <laughs> it's a year, 2024. But um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, this was good. And then, uh, you know, Sonata Naito. I guess they're still fighting for the most illustrious prize in all of professional wrestling the world's heavyweight championship title of the iwgp you wouldn't be able to tell based on their interactions or or anything but that's what that's where we're going <laughs> yeah and their uh interviews haven't really been all that great either to really get fired up about this thing so yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> even both of these guys getting overshadowed by uh okada and he's leaving the company yeah <laughs> uh, so following that we had the semi-main event Kazuchika Okada's last Cork and Hall match the never open weight six-man tag team titles were on the line and Okada Ishii and Tanahashi defeated TMDK Kosei Fujita Mike Nichols and Shane Hayes 22 minutes and 15 seconds great match um in my opinion uh, there were some very good matches on both nights, and I thought that this was the strongest match of the week. Um, just another in a slew of legendary title matches between, um, you know, Team Hall of Fame, the Dream Team, whatever you want to call them. This team of Okada, Ishii, and Tanahashi. At this point, I'm ready to say this, and I'm I was kind of holding off for a little bit because I I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I felt confident about this, but at this point, I think they're the greatest never six-man tag team champions of all time. Uh, I think they're, 
you got to put them just slightly ahead of Bishamon and Ishii, which, you know, at that point, Ishii is on both teams. He's got to be the greatest never openweight six-man tag team champion ever, period, <laughs> bar none. Yeah, I mean, Ishii is just the greatest person associated with never in general. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the fucking Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton of never. He's the man. Um, crowd was uh, very emotional, very hot, and just you know, besides themselves when Okada came out, like um, you know, chanting Okada the entire time that he he was out there, and uh, very much behind him throughout most of the match. I know that there was some controversy amongst the fan base because uh, the team of Chaos and Tanahashi were able to uh, successfully defend their titles, and post match, Okada um, announced amongst several other things that he said in his post-match announcements that they were going to relinquish the titles. And there were a lot of people in the fan base that were just irate that he didn't put over Kosei Fujita in Cork and Hall on this night. Um, but that's where we're at. They, they had a successful title defense. Uh, everyone was misty eyed, um, you know, uh, backstage, Ishii was crying tears, uh, which I don't know if I can recall any. Well, maybe like when Ricky Choshu retired, but that's like about it. I can't recall very many times seeing him show any emotions. Tanahashi seemed to be a, a little bit misty eyed. You had a uh, Yano and Yoshihashi both at ringside uh, on commentary roles, and they both seemed to have a little, a little something, something in their eye. Okada cried hard. This is the hardest I've seen Yo. Okada cry. It, it was so hard. I thought he was like faking at first, bro. He wasn't faking. It's, <laughs> he cried harder on this night than I think than he did at Wrestle Kingdom Nine when he lost to Tanahashi. That infamous, you know, crying walking backstage like this was. Yeah, he was emotional. Yeah, um, but the match was outstanding. Yeah, it was great match. The the sequences between um, Okada and Fujita, like they got a nice little. Uh, sequence together and, and a lot of stories focused on the effigy that kind of going after Okada so that that looked great and then you know TMDK they're a really solid tag team and uh, Ishii obviously we talked about it's how great he is and um, you know Tanahashi being in a six man is the perfect kind of spot for him to kind of hide some of his weaknesses he can come in do dragon screws and um, you know do what he's good at, good at and so yeah ultimately really great uh, matchup here another solid defense um, so you had Okada um, hitting the the Rainmaker on Fujita to get the win, and um, then like you mentioned, you know the big post match promo, the crying in the promo. He said that he is uh, vacating the Never Titles. That has not been made official, as far as I know, by New Japan. But Okada did say that you know Ishii's putting this belt around me, but um, you know I'm as of today I'm vacating the title. So. Interesting to see yeah, what's going to happen going forward if he actually is vacating or, you know, one of his two last matches, will it be a never six defense against some other team that they'll drop the belts to? Yeah, because we we know for a fact that Okada has the date with Tanahashi in what in Osaka, right? Yeah, so that's Osaka. And then he has two last matches in Sapporo. OK, and we don't know what those are. As of yet, as so of this that, recording, no, we do not. Yeah, so that will be interesting, but um, yeah, it, you could be correct. Maybe they will be forced to go out there and defend those titles. But right now, it seems like 
based on what he said that he that they're just going to drop those titles and you know at that point the vacancy will either be uh filled probably by like a mini title tournament i could imagine that being the case they've done that in the past or maybe they just uh arrange the top two teams um to face off to fill the vacancy but um yeah i thought i thought this match was awesome um the the first like third of the match a lot of it was actually centered on ishii which i feel like in a lot of ways ishii is like the heart and soul of team hall of fame and he's done a lot of the most like heavy lifting in these matches and really they he was playing ricky morton you know the baby face in peril and you know kind of fighting off all comers and trying to survive the onslaught from you know nick mikey nichols and uh shane haste um also i i want to ask you this why was shane haste twerking on the way out to the ring the night prior i i, I don't know <laughs> honestly, shit was- honestly i don't even remember that <laughs> bro yeah they they were walking out to the ring he put his hands on his knees and he was like doing the, the he was backing it up bro. Like, why bro <laughs> but anyways um but down the stretch it came to a point where like everyone was laid out and it was just you know um okada and fujita which was kind of the the impetus to what led to this match in the first place and they both got the hot tag and cork interrupted and i feel like they were mainly behind okada and but fujita kind of started to turn the crowd by just showing a lot of fighting spirit fighting valiantly um and basically just giving all the work that uh okada could handle but eventually you know he was able to kind of um, get a lot of great near falls. There was one where it looked like he was going to get Rainmaker and he ducked the Rainmaker and turned that into an O'Connor roll for like a, a really great near fall, which would have been awesome if he did get it. But, um, you know, ultimately he ended up in a position where all his other teammates were laid out. He's in the middle of the ring. He's completely spent, and all three members of Team Hall of Fame just pick him apart. They're all hitting their best stuff on him. He's getting just killed, and then he gets Rainmaker for the one, two, three, and like showed a lot of fighting spirit. I thought it was a great performance and really something that was, uh, you know, kind of showed what makes Kosei Fujita special. But you know, on that night, he he wasn't he didn't have enough to put away the <laughs> Rainmaker. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, and I know people wanted to see Fujita get the win, but I mean, he is a, still a junior. He is not a heavyweight, and it's still he's still kind of on excursion, right? And, and it's still Okada, like, and I, it's still Okada. I, I get that he's leaving the territory. People are upset in in their fields, but that that would have not been the right call for him to yeah. just get pinned by Fujita. Uh, we got a lot of questions concerning him and concerning this match. And then I don't know if we want to jump into those first, or should we talk about some of the rumors and some of the reports, you know, coming primarily from like our friends over at super J cast. Yeah. So this first question, I think we'll kind of kick into what they were talking about. So this is from uh, Lee Chang is Bay two on Reddit it says, I recall you guys calling Kazuchika Okada, the Hulk Hogan of new Japan a few times. In hindsight, do you guys think your comparison was a little too spot on, or were you two just ahead? LOL. Uh, it says, if o- Hollywood Kazu doesn't want to put any young whippersnappers over, brother, couldn't TMDK have just pinned either Ishii or maybe even Tana to win these six-man titles instead of Team 
Hall of Fame vacating the titles right afterwards? Um, so, I mean, I guess, to, <laughs> should we, do, do I answer this question? Do I talk about what he's alluding to? Like, how do you, how do you want me to deal yeah. with this? Yeah, so let's um, talk to what he's alluding to. So, you know, you know, like he said, we always kind of talked about Okada being Hogan of New Japan, but that was like, more of a kind of like star power. Um, but uh, last week, friends over at the Super J cast kind of doing some reporting on stuff that they were hearing from people from New Japan and um, them saying that Okada doesn't has no interest in you know doing programs with the young guys and putting them over. Yeah, um, and keep in mind, and this was a disclaimer that they put on it. They said that you know this isn't information that they can say a hundred percent. This is how it happened. Obviously, we're at a point where Okada's leaving the company. There's a lot of uncertainty going on. There's a lot emotions are running high and there's a lot of people feeling, you know, some kind of way in the locker room. That being said, um, me personally, I know lots of people have different opinions on Jcast and, and voices of wrestling. And I, I personally find those guys to be of the utmost, um, you know, uh, integrity when it comes to reporting and typically um, being someone that's followed the, the product as closely as we do. If they say something's happening, I can't really recall very many times where either it didn't happen or, you know, close to it, something close to it. Right. And they pretty much said that this is what they were hearing. Take it with a grain of salt. This is what they were hearing from people in the company and not just one source, but like multiple sources. And, um, you know, what they alluded to was that a Okada had been um, slotted to work the G1 in the A block, the the young guys block, the block we all wanted to see him work in. And he pretty much pulled it. That's not going to work for me, brother. <laughs> and wound up in the B block working with, you know, um, a lot of talented guys, but mainly talent that you've seen him work with a million times, whether that's Will Ospreay or Tai Chi or ELP or, you know, Yoshihashi, that, that kind of crew. Um, and kind of did, which, Last week when we did our show, I feel like if you didn't listen to our, our coverage on the Okada situation, go back and listen to it. I was very proud of it, and I thought it was some of the best audio that we've done. But once I started listening to Jcast afterwards, and they were they started breaking down the backstage politics of what could have or might have been going on, I felt like such an idiot. Because I'm like, of course, being a fan of wrestling this long, of course there's some brother-brother you know, bullshit going, you know, politicking bullshit going on. And I, how did I not think of this, that this could possibly be going on, that the top guy might be potentially protecting his spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that, you know, we really don't always hear about the backstage politics in new yeah. Japan. And I mean, traditionally we, you talked about like a lot of the, the aces have always kind of got the next ace already. And Tanahashi was Okada's age now, 36, when he put Okada over. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as, you know, modern day New Japan fans, we kind of have this history of like, all right, like the guy in his late mid to late 30s puts over the neck, the guy in his 20s and starts building the future. Uh, So, yeah, I I, I would highly recommend if you haven't listened to their episode from last week even if it's just the beginning um or you know listen to the whole thing it's all good obviously but if you really want to get a detailed breakdown of the 
I don't want to say allegations because, <laughs> you know, there's other allegations going on in the world of wrestling, but yeah. um, basically what's being alleged, uh, that's a great episode to listen to. But yeah, amongst them was that uh, not only did he not want to work that block, but that he kind of rejected this year uh, doing any major programs with some of those younger guys. Um, so it wasn't even just necessarily that he wasn't willing to put them over. He didn't want to work with them. And when you kind of look at the way the first half of his year played out where he was working with the young generation and we were all applauding it. And then something happens. G one comes, he's not working with any of those guys. And then the second half of the year, he's not working any sing, hardly any singles matches. And he's working in the six man tag team division with these guys. You know, that's a great way to kind of, I don't want to say bury, but kind of, you know, busy somebody with something else to do and not make them the focal point of the company. So that was one thing they alleged. Another thing was that there, there are some um, hurt feelings, or at least this is what they were claiming last week, because, you know, while, while a lot of people are wondering about when and how and where did the company figure out whether he was leaving or not, they pretty much said that like he was telling the office up until like, you know, the Thursday before he left that he'd always planned to stay and that he was planning to resign while maybe at the same time talking to those close to him in his inner circle and saying like, I'm on my way out of here. And they were getting conflicting reports and kind of trying to still plan the future, assuming that Okada was sticking around only to kind of find out, you know, last minute that no that's not what's that's not what's happening <laughs> yeah um which may have soured some individuals within the company and kind of um you know left a bad taste in their mouths and you know uh, i think that a lot of fans especially like the really really die hard fans those who also like really identify with the company or with the brand um they feel kind of betrayed kind of hurt and this report you know added a little bit of fuel to the fire there for some of those fans and i i think that they didn't they, they're not all thinking rationally or you know there's a lot of high emotions and so there's people that feel like kind of didn't want to put anybody over didn't want to do business <laughs> he's leaving us to go work in america for tony khan he's taking the money fuck that guy like that's what it is like a sentiment that's out there right now yeah, um, I've been seeing a lot of that, too. And, yeah, as you start kind of unpeeling some of these layers and hearing more reports and the kind of speculation, it's like, man, yeah, what what was really going on there? Um, and, yeah, it does seem like they're, I'm like we, we, we've been saying it now for a long time that something happened between the first half of the year and the second half of the year because it was two completely different bookings of Okada. Like we, we had the whole starting this whole young new generation feud that won our feud of the year in, in the kiss awards, uh, for 2023. And then, yeah, forbidden door happens. And the second half of the year is completely different. He's just doing never six man stuff. Um, so yeah, it definitely seems like there's some kind of falling out, some kind of politicking, some, some kind of issue happened. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we're not privy to the ongoings of backstage, so I couldn't tell you how accurate, any of this is at this point, you know, it's a report. 
I believe it, it came from valid sources. I don't know how true what those sources are saying, because it wouldn't be the first time that wrestlers have, you know, spread potential misinformation to further their own agendas or the agendas of a company or something like that to better themselves, you know? And uh, I think that's something that the guys at JCast are also aware of and they, they kind of, you know, disclaimed as well. But, um, you know, I would definitely say listen to their audio because it's pretty compelling and it's a little bit more um, detailed than what we even talked about here. We kind of just kind of gave you the gist of what's being alleged, but um, this has kind of really gotten under the skin of a lot of people <laughs> in the fan base. I personally, I'm not, other than the fact that I am disappointed that we're not going to get the big money programs that were on the table with Okada and this young generation. And that kind of includes all of them, including like Kato Kiyomiya, which, you know, some of the stuff with Kiyomiya and that shoot kick and stuff that, that all kind of is for me. I'm looking at it maybe even in a different light after hearing some of that stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, I think that's all disappointing of course. And I would have loved to have seen that at the same time. I've been, a wrestling fan most of my life and i know what wrestling politics are and i understand guys for better or for worse protecting themselves to you know you know to to procure their own um financial viability and okada not wanting to potentially work with somebody or or put guys over that's not the first time that you know someone in his position has done something like that. Hello, Kijimuto. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think I just personally have a bit more of a, um, I don't want to say apathetic, but like, I'm not, I don't have vitriol about it because it's the wrestling business and this is just what people do. And it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't make Okada a villain. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I also understand that like, regardless of who he had been like, let's just say realistically, if this was his last year and he was going to be leaving, even if the company had known or whatever, um, this idea that they were going to bury Okada on the way out and he was going to put over uh, a a slew of guys on his, that was never going to happen. Like it's fucking Kazushika Okada. He's the biggest star. You know, he's one of the two or three biggest stars ever in the history of the entirety of the company. So like, no, he wasn't going to be doing, a rash of jobs. Maybe, maybe, maybe he might have put one anointed chosen guy over to hand the torch over if the booking had lined up properly. Who that would be, you know, probably Umino or Suji or something like that. But even then, I couldn't tell you exactly who the company would have chosen. But you know, there's people that are wanting him to do a bunch of jobs on the way out and they're angry that he didn't lose a bunch of times to young guys in the um in the G1 like bro he didn't lose he only lost to one guy in the G1 and that was Will Osprey you think he was going to you know bro. put over Gabe Kidd like that was, that shit wasn't going to happen if Okada was in the A block it would have been the exact same booking as Sonata he he would yeah, he would have been the Sonata he would have beat all those guys got to the semifinals and got to the finals against Naito like he would have fucked them all up right i mean <laughs> Again, I think it, it would have still been better to have Okada in that block and to kind of start those matches and 
continue that whole story. Uh, but yeah, either way, it, it was Okada going to the finals. Okada would have ran through all those guys. Um, so yeah, well, there there was the whole thing where we used to think Kiyomiya could beat him. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Kiyomiya can get a win into the G one. Of course, he can beat him at you know in the G one. And I we we thought that they're gonna have the same block. Those would be the two guys going through. Nah, they didn't do any of that. But um, yeah, th- th- there's a, a lot of just um, I feel like a lot of fans are not using logic and they're just using their emotions and they're not thinking like a booker when it comes to Okada and they just feel some kind of way about him leaving. So they think he needs to just lose a ton on the way out. And like that shit doesn't happen to people in 2024, especially when they're a big star, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like what's he gonna like? He's gonna put everybody in the company over on the way out. Like, come on, bro, that shit's not happening. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this with uh, Chris Samson and just kind of like this territory booking mindset of you know the top guy has to put somebody over, and you know have we really seen that in recent times? You know, a lot of people, uh, especially in, more in the Western, people kind of just kind of jump from company to company, not necessarily putting over the next guy quote unquote so um well i think i think people do do that right mm -hmm. Uh, in my opinion and in fact i would even point to new japan as an example i think in new japan a lot of top guys on their way out do a definitive loss of some sort whether that's the final match or whether that's one of their final matches they lose to somebody you know and you could point to pretty i mean aj lost to nakamura at wrestle kingdom uh Will Ospreay lost to Tanahashi on the way out at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, Nakamura, now granted this is probably happenstance, but he lost the tag match at New Year's Dash to Kenny Omega. Yes, he did work a series of dates after that, but he did put over Omega. And, you know, had they done the match between him and Omega at new beginning, he was going to drop the IC title on the way out of the company like that. And they ended up not doing that, but that's where it was kind of headed. Um, Jay white just recently put over Eddie Kingston and he put over uh Hikaleo on the way out. Like this stuff does happen, but what usually doesn't happen, you don't usually have a top guy leave the company and put over people much lower and beneath their station to set them up as guys right and in in fact very rarely does that even have the effect that you would imagine it to have and this is what i talked about last week on the show where at this point if he were to put over like let's say umino on the way out unless they do a fantastic job um, building to it in the next few weeks it's going to feel unearned it's going to feel you know rushed and people might even resent umino for beating their hero okada on the way out it's just that's not usually how stars are made stars are usually made by beating a top guy while they're still all part of the same company it's very rare that you see a top guy leave the territory and put someone over and make them they they're usually already made when they lose to them and that's pretty much across the board in almost all companies throughout all time. I'm sure you can find some rare examples where I'm, I'm wrong on this, but by and large, I'm not. Yeah. And I think in, in a perfect world, you, you would have had an Umino 
uh, you know, already beat like Will Ospreay and beat Naito and beat Sonata and like beat all these guys. So it's like, all right, now he's coming for Sonata or he's coming for Okada and he's beating a lot of top guys. Like, all right. Like we we've seen he's beating these top guys. He's had great event, great main events. He's drawing. So yeah, it makes sense for Okada to to put him over. But we didn't get that. And essentially we talked about it. These guys have kind of almost still kind of been pseudo young lines at some points uh, through this run where like they're not really they're facing each other they're not getting big wins so yeah for Okada it's like why why am I gonna put over uh, a guy that's you know hasn't had any big wins any big programs now uh, we'll we'll get to the rest of the questions but to answer what um, Lee Cheng is Bay said here he's like you know why couldn't they have just pinned one of the other guys I don't think me personally, they could have done that. Sure. But I just don't think that new Japan is going to send Kazushko Kata, arguably the second most important figure in the history of their company's existence. They're not going to have him lose his final match in Cork and hall. Their their most important wrestling venue, you know, mm-hmm. from, from a, a year in year out standpoint, like he's not doing a job in Cork and hall. <laughs> His last night with the company, like it's just not happening. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's people that want that because they're angry and they feel betrayed because he's leaving the company, and that's that's a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a that's a you thing. Um, but that doesn't mean that Okada should be humiliated on the way out after all the years of you know what he's done for the for the company and how he's been the top ambassador and carrier of the brand like no to to fujita a junior who's kind of on quasi excursion it doesn't make sense you know yeah all right well we uh have some other questions here let's uh run through these uh so barry walsh says uh, how do you think a shingo and it's not as title reign looks now post okada do you think the mayor presence of Okada hurt their reigns as Okada was so good and dominant? Anyone else felt like they were truly the champion and were uh, minding his belt for a while. Naito as popular as he is doesn't feel like he's had a hold on the world title. So do you think Okada being so damn good in some ways hurt either Shingo or Sonata when they were the champion? And do you think either or anyone else might find it a little easier now knowing that they don't have Okada to contend with in the eyes of the fans and the Japanese media? Only now will people realize how good Okada is now he's gone. Wipe the tears, boys. Onwards we go. Um, I, the, only, the only person that I felt like Okada outshined when they were champion um, in recent years is like is Sonata. And I think that's not so much about Okada. That's a Sonata issue. Um, yeah. And, and for Shingo, I, I think the issue for his run was just a pandemic. <laughs> like it, yeah. it was, it was a tough time uh, for Shingo's reign. Uh, yeah. And Sonata just didn't give full effort. He was given the ball, didn't run with it. I thought Shingo had a great title reign. He had incredible matches and was the backbone that carried the company. And I wasn't too um, concerned with what was going on with Okada during that time frame. And I mean, this kind of goes back, you know, for, quite a few years i feel like when naito had his title run the thing that hurt it was the pandemic and some of the booking but i don't think it was okada same thing with jay like i felt like jay white got a fair run i feel like um kenny omega you know he had his issues as champion but i don't think it was a 
I didn't feel like they were getting the you're not Hulk Hogan or you're not John Cena treatment. I felt like to some extent, yeah, maybe that does exist, but that's always going to be the case when you have an, a, a true ace of a company. Um, but the only person that like I feel like was really truly in recent times fail the the two like failing champions we've had in recent times are Sonata and Evil. Yeah. And you know, I know our voting is not like the the end all be all, and it's a, it's a smaller sample size. But you know, Shingo won Wrestler of the Year for 2021 for his world title. Uh, so I think you know, Western fans they saw Shingo as a man. I think a lot of people saw Shingo as a great world champion, like you mentioned, great stuff. The, the defenses against Zack Saber, the match with Osprey and Okada. Like um, I think Shingo had a great year. Then you look at Sonata, somebody not even placing. In the top three um, in our year in awards for for 2023, uh, so yeah, I think that with Sonata, he just didn't put the effort out there. And also, yeah, like you mentioned, having a guy that is your your ace, it's going to be hard to compare to them. But we we've seen it happen before, and there's guys that have been champion. I mean, Kenny Omega was champion. I know his run wasn't best of timing, but I mean, I think still he had a, a great short run there. You know, Naito has been champion, uh, Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay. I think there are other guys that have been great champions with Okada being there. Um, his next question says, I know it's a legendary rivalry, but would it not have been better with a night to go after have someone like Suji come out and lay them both out after the emotional moment and then lock in an arm bar and threaten to break his arm unless they got Okada one-on-one and then beat him the next night, at least get someone up and coming over over. Tana is in charge only a few weeks, and he gets a belt and Okada's last one-on-one match. I know I'm in the minority, but it's a concern to me at least. He might be more protective about his legacy than I would have imagined. What say your more learned opinions? Um, I'm just going to reiterate what I said last week. I understand the um, inclination that people feel like Okada should do a job to one of the young lions on the way out or one of the young guys that has recently returned from excursion on the way out. And, you know, to some extent I would have loved to have seen that happen given the proper stage, given the proper build, maybe at a wrestle kingdom, maybe at a dominion or a G one final, and maybe had, had Okada not lost the title to Sonata all year, maybe we'd be in a better position to do something like that. But at this point in time, the guy's walking out of the company. He hasn't touched any of those guys, much less given any sort of attention to them in more than six months. It's just at this point, it's shoehorned, it's unearned. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I could be wrong, and they could really heat things up by doing something special, kind of like the Kiyomiya kick. But even then, if you did something like that, like what you're describing, it feels like a rehash of something that we had earlier last year that was very organic and probably should have been paid off better than it actually ended up being paid off, obviously. Yep. But, um, you know, for me personally, I mean, I think that they're sending Okada off they're giving him the, you know, you're going off into the sunset. Let's celebrate the guy. Let's make it be as um, amicable on paper as possible to celebrate him and everything that he's done. And maybe he can come back 
one day and do business again. Um, but if he wasn't willing to put over or work with the young guys hypothetically in the G1 last year, he's not going to do it on the way out before he signs a contract <laughs> with, you know, Nick or Tony Khan. Like he's not doing that. Yeah. And, and, and three, it's unrealistic three nights, he's, he's not going to do it. Yeah. And three nights, he's not going to have a marathon of, yeah, let me just lay down for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I, I had kind of thrown out the Hiromu idea and that was just a sort of, I didn't expect it, but like off, you know, if you really wanted to do something, because to me, it's like, he's not going to lose to anybody unless they're really a star already. And he just lost to Doki. So like, we're definitely not doing that. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, that's definitely not happening. Honestly, what's going to happen is he's going to most likely, I mean, and this is just the chalk pick. He's going to wrestle Tanahashi. He's going to beat Tanahashi. They're going to hug. And then his final two matches are probably going to be like a, a, a goodbye um, chaos multi-man match where they all wrestle each other and then some other sentimental match on the final night. I don't know what that might be, but it could be just like a multi-man tag of like all the big stars. Maybe like him, Tanahashi, Naito, uh, whoever else is big in the company. Right <laughs> now. Uh, yeah, you, you could do like a, maybe like a Hauntai Chaos team against LIJ. Like yeah, you, something like that. Like you do Okada, Tanahashi, um, Ishii, like the, the Team Hall of Fame and like two other Hauntai guys. Here we go, Team Hall of Fame and Bishamon against LIJ. Did I mention last week the idea of potentially doing like a gauntlet? You did, yeah. With with the a chaos gauntlet, yeah, we talked about that last week. Well, yeah, they could do a chaos gauntlet. They could also do. I was thinking, and I mean, again, I I don't know how realistic this is. They could do one of those with all these guys that they want to see him work with, you know. So he faces the last generation on the way out, but people would be mad if he didn't lose to somebody. But you know, I, I think that he's going to go out with flowers. He's going to go out with crying, with tears, and with uh you know, people clapping their hands and him being paraded around, around the ring. And it's going to be a fond farewell because I just don't know. You're, you're in a position where you, he's not even working for the company. He's kind of doing this out of the goodness of his own heart, just based on integrity where he's fulfilling his dates. He's not coming back to job (laughs) (laughs) and he's not going to, um, you know, uh, I kind of like teased, you know, the idea of him doing that last week, but we, we talk a lot of shit on this show, but it's not really actually realistic. If you think about it from just a business perspective, the guy's not jobbing on his way out to jump to one of the bigger companies. He's going to protect himself. He's going to protect his brand and he's going to do business, but not the kind of business where he's got a job. He's going to show up. He's going to be professional and it's going to be emotional and happy. And that's probably the best you can hope for. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Tonga Ren. Uh, who will step up to fill the voids left by Okada, Osprey, and Tamatonga? And why is it Taichi? Tongarian. Tongarian. Like the, yeah. It's a good, that's a great name. It's like Targaryen from uh, like House of the Dragon and like Game of Thrones, but it's mm. Tongarian. 
<laughs> I, I, I never saw the, the game of Shalone, so maybe that's why I missed it there. I don't know if you should watch that, Jeremy. I mean, I know you're a married man, but there's a lot of sex and nudity in that, there. That's, that's what I've heard. I'm like, you know, being a good Christian that you are, I just, I don't know if it's going to jive. <laughs> you know, it, it's more explicit than the live sex celebration from Monday Night Raw. So mm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do think that there's space for a guy like Tai Chi to um, elevate in in the midst of this power vacuum, but I I really don't know um, who's going to step up and fill the voids left by these guys, and that's going to be that's up for the talent to decide that, and that's up for the bookers to, um, you know, make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see Tai Chi be elevated. Uh, I think he's been really great since breaking out of Suzuki and. Um, all of his single stuff, you know, all the stuff with Shingo and stuff like that's been great. Um, you know, think back to that, that Abushi G1 match. So, I mean, Taichi has what it takes to be uh, um, a really upper mid-card guy. I don't think I, I'd put the world title on him, um, but he's a guy who can maybe be the global champion. Obviously, he can be a never champion. So, uh, I definitely think he's a guy they can utilize this year. I would fucking love if they put that white belt on Taichi at some point. That'd be sick. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, Adam Pro one two three says, "What do you guys think is next for Chaos? Do they add a new member to be the leader? Does someone step up within the group to lead? Do they just go their separate ways, or does it ever, everything stay the same without a leader? I guess the same could be asking out of Empire. Any fun and fancy bookings of your own would be cool to hear. They need to kill Chaos. First off, Chaos has the worst fucking merch of any wrestling group in the history <laughs> of wrestling since merch has existed. Um." That's the one good thing about Okada leaving. He's going to actually have a shirt that's worth buying, most likely, in either WWE or AEW. I, I've got my my qualms about the, the merch in both of those companies, but they can't be worse than the merch that he had in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He had god-awful fucking shirt, stuff that I just never, ever, ever would want to wear or pay money to own. And the same could be said for chaos. Did you see that the, this the last chaos shirt that they just made? Uh, I don't think I did. No, it's just blue with pink letters. It just says chaos. What? The oh, fuck I think you know, I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's gonna wear that? Why would you wear that? Oh yeah. my god, chaos! Chaos was a really important faction in like 2010, 20, like 2011, <laughs> like when, whenever it was when Rise and GBH got killed. But, dude, this group has not mattered for so many. They're basically just Sekigun at this point. So I don't even see the point of them continuing. And if they were, I can't think of a single individual that I think should lead them. Unless it was like, I don't know, someone someone that desperately needs a a faction like a Shingo. But how fucking weird would a Shingo-led chaos be? You know, Ishii going to take... Take orders from Shingo Takagi? <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, bro. Like, just let it die. I I I lived through so many periods where like you had cool groups and they died. And you know what happened after that? Other new cool groups were able to be formed. Why? I don't like this era where the groups exist for 15 years. Why is a group existing for 15? You're not the fucking four horsemen. If you're not the four horsemen, you you shouldn't exist this long. It, it, it's crazy. Yeah, um, it's funny, you know, so uh, I was listening to Flagship, they did their um, instant reaction review of the Royal Rumble, 
and they were talking about you know guys like Kofi Kingston and the Miz like New Day like that feels like a relic in today's WWE like mm-hmm. like they were around in like 2012 I guess when they were getting pushed and like and they're still around and when they come out it just doesn't it feels weird and it feels like a relic and that's almost how I kind of feel about chaos at this point it's like yeah chaos like you mentioned like that was from yeah 20 same thing that was like from 2012 2011 2010 like and the fact that group is still around now and i mean essentially like you said they've, they've already kind of been blended with hauntai like they don't really serve a purpose like it just feels Bro, super let, outdated hold on let me uh let me let me do this just so people can understand what chaos was because i don't think that people even understand what the fuck chaos even was Let's talk about some members of Chaos that that were part of this. Oh, and here's another thing. When Okada leaves, hypothetically, if he joins AEW, what are the chances that he gets put in the best friends immediately because they're part of Chaos? Oh, yeah. I think they've already kind of on screen. He's already been associated with Orange Cassidy. and I hope they don't do that. <laughs> and, you know, Rocky, right. Rocky's up uh, always on Dynamite, too, so... All right, let's talk about people that have been members of Chaos. Alex Kozlov. Well, hold on. When did, what year did the group actually start? 2009. Wow, okay. Black Tiger 5, D. Brian Kendrick, Davey Richards, Ghetto, Giant Bernard, Hideo Saito, Jado, <laughs> Carl Anderson. Do you remember when Carl Anderson was a member of Chaos? No, I like, don't. No. <laughs> Jay White. Kazushi Sakuraba, Low-Key, Masato Tanaka, Mad Mikey Nichols, Shinsuke Nakamura, Takashi Isaka. People don't even remember Takashi Isaka was a member of, of Chaos. You know who else was a member of Chaos? Tetsuya Naito. Remember Naito being in Chaos, guys? Nope. Like, this is, you know, <laughs> Yujiro Takahashi was a member of Chaos, you know? And there's other people that were like, you know, kind of like Tajiri. Tajiri was like part of Chaos, and Val Venus, and Yamato, and Averno, and De- you know, like the list goes on and on. Like Okamura, I'm just naming people that you're like, when the fuck, bro? Were they part it, of Chaos? it sounds like you you pulled up Fire Pro and you're just <laughs> you're just scrolling through the menu. <laughs> bro, Flip Gordon had a part time association with Chaos at one point. Wow. <laughs> Uh, wasn't um wasn't uh, amazing red technically part of chaos for a brief period he was yeah this is what i'm saying everybody was a member you know who else was a member of chaos the briscoe brothers they were yeah yeah like what are we doing <laughs> no just let it leave the memories alone okay this group started in 2009 they didn't they don't need to exist anymore there's no point right they're, they're not serving a, a purpose like I've ne- I've never heard like oh chaos is a big merch movers like obviously Okada is but a chaos as a whole I th- well, I mean I mean I mean aside from the towels what else they what else are people buying I can't I don't see people wearing Okada shirts yeah I don't know but I mean I, I've never heard <laughs> chaos as a whole being a big money mover either so it's like what what purpose do they serve they don't not selling merch like uh, bro they're just part of Hontai at this point anyways right. I think that group just need that needs to yeah it needs to be folded. They need they're to gonna all. fold it, and Ishii's gonna say no. 
and they're going to say yes, and then he's still going to be branded as chaos, it's just like how Makabe <laughs> and Hama are still GBH, but there's no GBH. Yeah, it's just the two of them. <laughs> or like how um, Nagata's still Blue Justice Army, but there's there's not a Blue Justice Army anymore. That's going to be um, Ishii. He's going to be the the lone member of Chaos. Yep. And that's it. <laughs> oh, man. That's my fantasy booking. Yeah. Uh, as far as United Empire, now, I, I mean, I really like United Empire. I, they don't feel like a relic to me, but, I mean, the group was created for Will Ospreay. Um, so it, it's going to be kind of weird if somebody else leading it, and I don't really feel like any of the guys – in the group right now should be the face of the group. I, I feel like I, if it was like five years later, like Calum Newman would have been perfect, but he's not quite ready yet. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you do with them. I have no clue. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what they end up doing. Um, next up, uh, that dude named menace says, does new Japan lean heavily into using outside like new Japan or all Japan? Noah, Talent, or does Gato make an attempt to elevate the new guys? Um, I mean, I don't see why you can't have a combination of the two. Right. I, don't, I think that, I think that they need to elevate their talent. They also need to utilize outside talent. They need to pull from all resources that they have available to them. Yeah, I don't get why it has to be either or. Yeah, yeah, do both. Also, ask if you ran New Japan, do you change the Booker or let Gato figure it out? I've already answered that last week. I think we, I think they need to make a shift and adjust. If I'm running New Japan, I'm putting myself as a booker. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, also says, I don't believe the new challenges narrative that Okada put out there as a reason for leaving. Why do you think he left? Um, well, I do think that new challenges is a part of it because, um, but I think it's multifaceted. And all we can do is speculate as to what is plausible. We don't know everything, obviously, but, you know, the things we do know, people, a lot of wrestlers have gone on record and said that they've had issues with the way the company has been ran for the last four years, especially since the pandemic, you know, especially under the regimes of Harold May and uh, Takami Obari. So that's probably part of it. Um, I'm sure business has a lot to do with it. I'm sure money has a lot to do with it and his opportunity to make a lot more money elsewhere. Uh, we've also been told that he does want other opportunities. I mean, uh, there's very little that he hasn't accomplished in terms of, you know, goals in new Japan. So if he did want new challenges, I mean, if you wanted to potentially become the biggest star in wrestling and you want to bet on yourself, you go to America, you go work for either AEW or WWE. You don't stay in new Japan. So, I mean, it, it for him, it's like, why wouldn't he go? He can't make the same money here anymore. He may, he would make multiples more elsewhere and gets to wrestle new guys. He gets a lighter schedule. Um, there, he gets he becomes a, a bigger star worldwide day one. There's just a lot. There's a lot of reasons why he's leaving. Yeah, And we don't even know that those are his personal reasons, but that stuff's just all on paper. Who knows what his personal thought, you know, train of thought is, but I mean, that's all there. Yeah, I mean, he wanted the, the challenge of getting some con money into his bank account. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge is how can I turn this dollar into a yen 
and send it back home for my family <laughs> so we can be extremely wealthy. Yeah. Uh, then his last question, what's up with the neckbeard screeching about the integrity of New Japan? Ultimately, these are human beings that want to make money and have the right to do so. Thoughts? I, I'm not that tuned in to what everyone is saying online. And honestly, can I just be honest with you, Jeremy? Please. We just don't interact with the like really plugged in new Japan crowds too much. Anyways. I mean, I see, I see what is curated on our X timeline and I, I might see what is posted here and there on like a, a new Japan board, but like the deep, deep insular, like message posters or message board people or the discords and, you know, the ones who are in their very distinct bubbles and have these like very, passionate takes on on new japan like i just don't fuck with those people i I don't know i don't even know what they're saying like i don't know what the integrity of new japan is um so yeah i I do agree though that these are humans and they have the right to make money and i'm assuming he's referring to people that are that are just like die hard like i i know that there are camps that are like the same kind of you know how we see like these very tribalistic AEW and fed defense squad type fans i know that those types of new japan fans exist i just i don't fuck with them <laughs> yeah I, a lot of times i don't see a lot of the, the complaining and a lot of stuff like this so but yeah i mean if a kind of the whole if his motivation is money like that's fine. Like, I mean, he has to make his money. He has every right to want to make money and provide for his family and get a better life. So, um, bro, I've got a, a very, I've got a very similar situation in my own life going on at work where I'm the Okada. <laughs> <laughs> and I told them I might walk <laughs> unless you guys pay me some more money. <laughs> Uh, some and, then they, and then they said well i mean you know x y and z and i was like oh i can do x y and z i'm the fucking ace did you guys <laughs> not realize this <laughs> and guess what's happening i got meetings lined up all week <laughs> all week they're trying with to- the company and outside the company you know, so they said, get get a deal done, get 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 him in the office, get get, get the contract signed. <laughs> oh, I, it's contract season right now. ELP and Hikaleo came on this show, try to get us to tell everyone it was contract season for them. No, nah, it's contract season for the young boy. It's time for me <laughs> to get paid. <laughs> oh man! At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. 
Uh, last question here about the Okada stuff uh, from Dr. Cozy Lariat. If you were to build a main adventure, why not make it Great Ocon? Um, I, honestly, I like Great Ocon a lot, but I've I've never seen him as a main eventer. Um, I've said otherwise that there were reports the company felt like he was a main eventer and they had big plans for him. But even then, even when I heard that the company had big plans and they planned to move him to a prominent position, I never saw him as like the top guy. I always saw him as being like a, like a Minoru Suzuki top heel, you know, sort of role, which I think he can still get there. But I mean, this is a company, let's just like call a spade a spade. A lot of what new Japan is built on is the attractiveness, the attractiveness of the top guys to appeal to women and, and guys. And, you know, it's an, it's a quasi, I don't know if idol is the right word, but it's like most of the people that try to push are fucking hot. Okan's not hot. <laughs> Man's not hot. <laughs> Man's not hot. Like um, Okan's a great character, but I think even some of the stuff that he was doing in the like uh, social media was potentially garnering bad attention from you know management i I don't know and for me personally i wouldn't push i think okan's a great wrestler but not a great wrestler i don't think for me a lot of what i love about new japan are the guys that can go out there and give me the very 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 best wrestling matches possible in the entirety of the world and don't get me wrong i like great okan i think he's had some great matches but I've never seen him have a match where I thought, oh, that is a match of the year contender. I'm fucking over the moon. That was that blew me away. I how is this guy not the world champion right now? I've never said that once. And and I love, I mean, I'm probably a bigger fan of Young Lion Oka than I am Great Okan, but uh I would never push him as my top guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I was you know, very optimistic and high on O'Connell when he came back. But yeah, I, I'm I'm very low on him. Like he's good, but like you said, like I know part of it is the booking. I don't I don't think he's been booked the best. But then also it's the output. Like I mean, this guy's been in G ones. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like he's out there. You know, like Ishii having all these bangers and then losing. Like he's going out there having some good matches. I mean, depending on who's in there, maybe a great match, but he, he's never a blowout standout guy. Um, a lot of the big matches he have, it's not always, um, you know, like you mentioned match of the year level. I think, you know, recently that John Moxley match is probably one of his best things he's done recently. And this is a guy that's full time in Japan on pretty much every tour. Um, so yeah, he's definitely not a guy I would say is your, a main event or world champion. You know, maybe you can put the global belt, on him at some point, but I think KOPW honestly is good for him right now. <laughs> this is going to be the benefit when we move to video. People are going to be able to see my facial reactions, but I'm like, so the main event of this Cork and Hall show was the Roughneck Shota Umino defeating sold out Ren Narita. 33 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, I know that that doesn't sound great. And I know that 
you know, on paper, you're thinking to yourself like, okay, Ren Narita, House of Torture, it's probably not that great. I don't know, Jeremy, this did it for me. I thought this fucking ruled. Mm. Um, they, these two guys have had heat ever since the, the angle at the end of World Tag League, and Umino has not been able to get the better of uh, Narita, really just been wanting to get his hands on him. You know, suffered uh, setback and defeat after defeat, and finally gets his hands on this guy in the main event, headlining over Okada's final match in um, Cork and Hall, which I think is actually pretty important. And while, yeah, there was some cheating, it again, it's a house of torture match, so you sort of have to, that's par for the course, you're going to have to anticipate a bit of that. But I thought that that was pretty minimal, and these guys brawled all over the fucking building. I loved the spot at the staircase where Umino set up the uh, strong style table and powerbombed Renarita through it. He fell down the, the steps. Um, I thought Renarita um, kind of playing a, a diabil- diabolical, you know, bastardly heel and sort of doing that in the face of Umino's dad, Red Shoes, you know, who was officiating the match and kind of created uh, a strange sort of like power dynamic there. And then um, for me, again, I don't like House of Torture, but I love when House of Torture, the few times where House of Torture gets, you know, their comeuppance. And there was a period of time down the stretch of the match where Umino had gotten the better of Narita. It looked like he was about to win. Uh, ref bump ends up happening. All of House of Torture, you know, runs down, and then suddenly the lights go out, which is a House of Torture tactic, but used against them, which no one has done that yet. Lights come on, Hontai's there in full force, boom, 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 everyone's beat. It, it's very similar to what we've seen from like when the few times Lij decides to get off their ass and actually save one of their guys. They Hontai all rushes in, um, Tamatonga gets the gun stun on Evil. They eliminate those guys and. Narita and Umino, they just they had a great match. And these guys have worked together quite a few times. Um, I know that some of that shenanigans might have brought the match down a bit for, for some people, but they were working a very, very fast pace all throughout the match. And for me, I know that the Narita character right now maybe isn't everybody's cup of tea. And trust me, I'd like to see him doing something different. But the one thing I am noticing, he's not getting too bogged down in the kind of things that really negatively affected, like say show he's still working as hard as he worked prior. And I think that that's, what's kind of separating him from my enjoyment of like, say a show match or like an evil match, like Narita still going out there and kicking ass. He's not quite a like bullet club war dogs where he's like, got this crazy intensity. It's not that he's still cheating. Still using the 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 pull-up bar that's you know um wrapped in, in metal, and he's still looking for for you know to take shortcuts, but he's still doing awesome moves. He's still having great you know work in the match, and him and Umino they fit together like a glove. They wrestle each other a million times. Um, you know, I don't think I'm gonna go about four on this. I'm probably again like three and three quarters, but I thought this was a really strong, solid match. And, and a great uh, main event in Corkin. And ultimately, Umino picks up the one, two, three here. He was able to, with help from some of his friends, get the better of Renderita and, uh, you know, basically put that 
to bed for now. And in the post-match, um, he was uh, basically encouraged by Tamatonga to challenge um, at his request for the Never title versus Evil. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm a little bit lower on this match than you were. Um, I felt like there was a lot of cool stuff in the match. I like the whole the, t- the table spot. That was awesome. Uh, I felt like the wrestling was good, but I felt like the crowd heat was not there. Mm. Uh, and I felt like that was because not because the pro nothing with the program because I feel like the previous night there was heat for the whole House of Torture versus Hontai stuff, but. I think coming after that Okada never six man that was a very emotionally uh, fueled match. The crowd gave it their all, and they just weren't. I think they were into this match, but just not as vocally into this match. So it was at points very quiet, and I felt like you they, think it was because they were following the Okada match. Yeah, I, I think had this been flipped, I think this would have got better reactions. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I get you need to put these guys in the main events, and I get it. But yeah, the crowd just—it's—they seemed kind of dead. Like they were doing cool stuff, and they were getting minimal reaction. Um, and you know, Umino kind of had to do a point through the whole bay face thing, stomping the mat, kind of yelling at the crowd, trying to get them into it. And eventually, they, they got there. And especially once the run-in started happening, and he started getting to the closing stretch. But I felt like the heat was pretty low for how much time has been invested in this feud and um, this whole chase of the want to finally see Umino beat uh, Narita. And I, I, I felt like it was too long. I, I think that they could have cut this by like 10 minutes and uh, got to where they were going a little bit faster, especially following that, um, you know, 20 minutes. So never six man match, very emotionally fueled crowds, you know, pouring their hearts out there crying with Okada and, like that, I feel like the crowd was kind of drained emotionally after that, and they, they wanted to get into this match, but it was hard. Um, but yeah, over uh, the action, like as far as the, I think the spots were great, the psychology was great. Like they did cool moves, and this is the one thing we talked about with Narita being a part of House of Torture. Like even though yes, he's cheating and he's hitting people with the pull up bar and stuff like that, he still. Um, you know, that Renarita we love, he's still doing those, those cool suplexes. He's still doing a lot of cool moves and actually wrestling in between the cheating, unlike the rest of Hell of Torture. Um, so that was good to see. But, uh, yeah, I think these guys, they have a better match in them. And I think that they were kind of placed in a tough spot following the Okada match. Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing with all that. You're bringing us some great points, but I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think you brought up some, some good points there. And maybe I think for me personally, I probably wasn't paying as much attention as maybe I normally would to the crowd responses. So that's uh, that's actually an interesting observation there. Um, yeah. And it, they definitely went a bit longer than I expected, which could be, you know, categorized as overindulgent especially with all the uh house of torture stuff but for whatever reason for me i don't know i think i'm just a mark for anytime house of torture tries to cheat and they just get cut off and they don't and it it works for me because i'm always like i'm i don't want to see them there at all and when people beat their ass i'm like fuck yes let's go and i'm like happy about it but i think um at the same time this is kind of a really 
heavy house of torture tour just in general and i'm i'm not necessarily loving that aspect of this part of the new beginning tour in general yeah it's kind of been uh rough with yeah how the torture being so focal and for me i really want to see these young guys kind of break out and do some cool stuff and yeah it's it's just not happening and honestly like we mentioned earlier the best part of this tour is the united empire versus war dog stuff like that's the most heated stuff like they always get great crowd heat there's there's violence like it's a blood feud and uh, i think they're doing an excellent job building to that five on five and yeah, some of this stuff I think was built up too long, and I don't think that people are as as invested as some of the other stuff. Now, with all that being said, I think that, and this is just my wild hunch, I've been wrong before, but I'm seeing some good signs of life when it comes to Narita finding his footing with this new character. And I felt like uh, he's not quite there yet, but I felt like in this match we were starting to see that just a bit. Um, which is good. So hopefully that kind of continues on uh, beyond this match. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from a roasted cat 23. Assume Umino is the new ace. How do you book him in 2024? Would it feel forced if Umino goes over Okada before his departure? A friend of mine said Moxley might act like a transitional champ toward Umino, but NJPW is clearly suggesting that Umino is going for the never title and won't be rushed toward the world title. So I doubt it. I'm just going to say what I've been saying. I think whoever they push is going to win the G1 and then challenge for the title at Wrestle Kingdom, and that will be like the first we're off to the races with whoever that individual is. I I don't think we're going to see. And I mean, if you just look historically at the way New Japan books now, of course, a lot of this is under Gato. Um, It's very rare that you see someone fully solidified until they've either one of two things happens. They they win the title in an unexpected manner early in the year. And then that's just a trial run and the title gets taken off them. And then the big run comes later or they win the G1 and they challenge at Wrestle Kingdom. So one of those two things is likely going to happen. And given given the how transitional this year is going to be with the, the departure of Okada, I really think that the story of the year is going to circulate around who is going to be the future ace. And that's going to kind of put Naito for the time being, unless they take the belt off Naito, it's going to put Naito in sort of a quasi um, Jumbo Saruta type role for the time being. Yeah. And you know, Okada's already kind of, or not, excuse me. Uh, Umino said that in his post-match promo that he's the ace. Uh, so clearly, you know, he's trying to take that mantle and, yeah, G1's going to be very interesting when you don't have, you know, an Okada, Osprey, Ibushi. The typical guys you expect to be potential winners are, are not going to be there. So, yeah, I think, you know, you're, you're spot on. G1's going to be a, a time that you kind of watch and see if they're going to pull a trigger on somebody. It's probably going to be G1. They're either going to win or they're going to get to the, the finals and come so close. Um, so, yeah, so for Umino, I mean, I, I think... A uh, never title run could be kind of a good first thing for him. Maybe you have him do that the first half of the year, and then um, if he's the guy, if he's going to win G one, then yeah, maybe you kind of have him drop that before G one, and then yeah, he goes in there, uh, wins it, and then yeah, you do something like Umino versus Naito at um, the next Tokyo Dome. 
this coming week, we have uh, two more nights of Road to New to, uh, New Beginning action on February 4th. Uh, we have a Cork and Hall show, Desperado, Oleg Bolton, Umino, Makabe, and Yoshihashi take on the House of Torture, all their members. Uh, the Bull Club team of Owens, Kenta, and Ishimori take on uh, ELP, Hikaleo, and Tomoki Hanma. The TMDK team of Fujita, Mikey Nichols, Shane Haste, and Zack Sabre Jr. take on the Chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii and Yo, along with Tanahashi and Taguchi. Fourth match of the night, we have LIJ, Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Suji taking on just five, all Just Five Guys members. And then uh, we have special singles match taking place where Gabe Kidd will face off against Hanare. Following that, Jeff Cobb will face Alex Coughlin. And the seventh match of the night, David Finley will face off against Callum Newman. So three special singles matches leading up in the uh, um, War Dogs versus United Empire feud. And then the main event of that evening will be the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title match as the champions catch 2-2 will defend their title against the former champions, Bull Club War Dogs, Connors, and Maloney. Um, any thoughts on that card before we move to the next night? I mean, it looks like a really good card. You know, very rare you, you get singles matches in New Japan, especially on a Road Two show. We're getting three here. Um, it's all United Empire versus War Dogs. So that, like we mentioned, that feud's been great. So it's gonna be very interesting to see who kind of gets the momentum going into the five on five. And I'm really interested to see what's gonna happen now with the main event with Cats Two Two and War Dogs, and what role Akira is gonna play. Um, and if they're going to retain or how that plays into it. And if they lose the titles of Akira kind of fully back out of the cage match. Is there any like Bray Wyatt having to carry the feud with Undertaker, not making any appearances leading into WrestleMania? Is there like any vibe of that with Will Ospreay just not on the tour? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I mean, luckily, you know, you know, Empire is a bigger faction, so like Ocon's filled in spots, uh, Callum Newman's filled in spots. So, I mean, the, the heat's been great, um, but yeah, it, it, it obviously would have been better if Osprey was on the tour to build up everything up. But the heat's been great between both units. But yeah, um, you got get that vibe a little bit. One thing I will say: uh, this night looks great, but I'm most stoked for Gabe Kid versus Toa Hanare. That oh. those guys have been Bro. lighting each other up. That is a strong style fire of the year material right there. Yeah. Uh, the following night on February 5th, we have another night of Cork and Hall action. Uh, the show opens with Great Ocon versus Young Lion Murashima. Second match of the night, Owens, Kenta, and Ishimori taking on G.O.D., E.L.P., Hikaleo, and Jado. Third match of the night, Despi, Bolton, Umino, and Hanma, as well as Yo, take on the House of Torture. Um, that's going to be all five members. Um, fourth match of the night, TMDK, that's Fujita, Nichols, Shane Haste, and ZSJ. They will take on the cast team of Ishii and Yano, along with Tanahashi and Makabe. Fifth match of the night, we have uh, Cal Newman, Francesco Ahira, Hinari, Jeff Cobb, and TJP of the United Empire. They'll take, a, take on the Bull Club War Dogs team of Coughlin, Connors, Finley, Maloney, and Gabe Kidd. And then in the main event, we have Faction Warfare Gauntlet match where the members of LIJ, Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Suji will take on all five members of Just Five Guys in a gauntlet match. So 
Uh, if this is anything like the gauntlet matches that they've done in the past, uh, it's a little different than say your average 10 man tag. Usually the way it starts, it's these, it's a series of singles matches. So typically one member from each team will start in the ring. Everyone else is backstage typically and not at ringside. And it's just a one-on-one match. And then whoever wins, the other person is eliminated and the winner stays in the ring. And the next fresh member from the other team comes out and the match just keeps going that way until all five members of one, one of the opposing teams is completely eliminated. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I think it's a a very interesting way to do faction versus faction and kind of mix up the whole, you know, doing a 10 man tag kind of stuff. And so, and plus, I mean, there's there's a lot of great feuds here. I'll see they're still trying to build, um, Naito and Sonata up, um, Suji and uh, Uemura, like they have great heat. Chingo and Taichi, they have great heat. Um, Hiromu and Doki, so there's, there's a lot of cool things you can do. And I think in a match like this, you can get some upset wins. I think you could use this as a as a tool to have Suji um, pick up some wins over some of the Just Five guys, guys, or you could have Uemura. Like, what if Uemura pins like Shingo, like? There's a lot of interesting things you can do. It's going to depend on good booking. Uh, The guy's working really hard. And typically a lot of these types of matches are memorable when either a feud is hot or you have a lot of big stars. I think this match isn't necessarily meeting either of those two criteria just yet. But if you book it creatively enough and you do enough cool, interesting things and the work is high level, then the crowd will really get behind it, especially in Corkin. So um, this has potential, but you know, um, I haven't seen a, a gauntlet match, a uh, multi-man gauntlet match in New Japan in years. So it's been a really long time. But that is going to do it for next week. So um, you know, someone wanted us to preview next week's shows. We spent a few minutes on that. <laughs> Most of this was a review show. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and next week we'll review those shows. We're gonna spend a lot of time reviewing those shows. You know, <laughs> that's how we. So what we do, um, let's jump into the news. So uh, the news here, Evil will defend the Never Openweight title against Shota Umino on night one of New Beginning in Sapporo on Friday, February 23rd. Also added to that lineup for that evening, Desperado will face show in a non-title match. Uh, we got a question from Death Triangle 720. Hypothetically, if Shota does beat Evil and wins the Never title, how should he be booked with the title? Um, I think that they should make it, you know, uh, a quote-unquote real man run for him. Have him defend the title against Ishii. Have him defend the title against Shingo. Have him defend it against uh, Goto. Have him run through, like, guys that are known for that never style and show that he can hang with those guys and have these kind of knockout, drag-out matches and, and kind of add that, um, you know, rougher, quote-unquote roughneck style to Umino and really kind of show that he can hang with the, the tough guys. I'm not opposed to that, and I, I think that that would be a great uh, way to do things. Um, at the same time, I, I almost have an inclination that if you're wanting to push him as a potential ace of the company, then you give him the kinds of challenges that would befit an ace. Uh, I don't know if he's ready to necessarily have like a Will Ospreay or Kenny Omega style U.S. title run, you know? but maybe something in that same vein. So I would say give him the very, very best wrestlers that you possibly can who aren't 
the tippy top main eventers, guys that he'll have the best matches with that he can credibly beat and that will make him look like a star. And maybe it could be what you're talking about, Jeremy, but I don't even think for me personally, it's so much a story of, um, you know, like preservation and, and endurance and, and toughness for me, it's more like present him like a fucking star and have him beat some of the best guys that are out there, you know, and who would that be? Like, uh, let's say a Jeff Cobb, Mm. um, a Minoru Suzuki, um, maybe like a, a, a Hiromu or mm-hmm. a Despi. Yeah, that's, you know? a, that's a cool thing with the, the open weight stuff. It, yeah, he could wrestle more established junior guys um, and kind of show a different side of himself. But yeah, get over in a main event against Hiromu. Yeah, that could be a good uh, move there. I would just, I would have him, I would put him in there with the best guys that you possibly can who aren't the type of people that you would burn off major money matches with you know so i wouldn't put him in there with the zack saber jr necessarily or i wouldn't put him in there with uh you know like a naito or like a shingo right now but maybe the guys that are kind of just below that station you know mm-hmm. and 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 get him ready i mean they kind of did something similar to that with like kenny when kenny was icy champ you know yeah so maybe maybe something like that that would be my uh, that's what I would do. Um, Tokyo Sports um, has announced that Yuzuki Okamoto. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tokyo Sports Yuzuki Okamoto reported that Tanahashi signed a contract at NJPW offices on Monday. We had a question from Barry Walsh. She said, would making Hiromu a heavyweight kind of negate the work he did with the Junior Festival and also really date? Uh, I don't know what he wrote there. <laughs> out loud the management oh would it say out loud that the management that they don't care about the juniors would having him wrestle both like Liger did at times not be better any opinions yeah I mean, we, we kind of talked about this last week and you kind of throw the idea of like all right have Hiromu in there with Okada maybe have him beat Okada to, to elevate him and um I think that I don't think that him being elevated to heavyweight would throw out what he did with the junior all-star festival um I, I think that that was cool, and you could have somebody else, the next face of the junior division, do that. Um, but, you know, Hiromu is a star, and they need star power. They need people who can draw on top of the cards. So why not give a chance and try to elevate him uh, to a heavyweight? I have an opinion that is not shared by most diehard, um, you know, New Japan and Pro Rezu fans because it's almost sacrilegious to say this, but I'll, I'll say it because it's true. New Japan did not use Jushin Liger to his full potential, and they wasted years of his career, and they waste and they lost money on him. He shouldn't just be remembered as the greatest junior they ever had, even though he is. He should have been a heavyweight, and he should have fucking won the world title. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand that maybe there wasn't this appeal from the Western fan base that, there was a contentment that it was okay that he was just, you know, the best junior and sometimes dabbled at heavyweight, but like, bro, he should have been fucking beaten heavyweights because he was better than most of them. And he should have been in the, the main title scene. He should have been headlining fucking Tokyo domes because he's Jushin Thunder Liger. And you guys wasted a lot of his career and you didn't make as much money with him as you possibly could have point blank period. 
I don't care. And there's not a, you know, the counter argument was like, well, what about his legacy? Could have had a better legacy. <laughs> could have had a better legacy. <laughs> yeah. As great, as great as his legacy is, could have been better. Um, and they, they could miss money off of Romu. Like he's, he's a star. He's charismatic. Like they could have him in these main events. I, I, I don't, I don't believe that you need to get rid of the junior division for it to be important. I just think we live in a day and age where people know what wrestling is. And in every other wrestling climate, juniors can be heavyweights and they can be the world champion. I think that New Japan could be the place if they had the vision where being the junior champion is as or near as prestigious as holding the world title and and forth between those two divisions. And it didn't, it doesn't, what makes it, um, what makes it not prestigious is when it's treated like a second class citizenship, you know, where it's like, well, they're a really great junior, but that's all they are. Like they're just a junior. It's like, it shouldn't be that way. You know, Mm -hmm. in other companies, the guys that are quote unquote juniors, I mean, look at Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson's a fucking junior, and he he's headlining in in New Japan based on what was afforded to him. And I'm not taking away what he did, but what was afforded to him by Ring of Honor and WWE and AEW. And if he didn't have that groundwork from those guys, if he had stayed in New Japan for the past 20 years, he wouldn't be Brian Danielson. He'd be a junior. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be a time and place where at some point tradition is bucked and guys that are under a certain height and don't have the same frame can be the world champion in this company. Because look at Hiromu. Hiromu is like one of the top four stars that they have. And he should be able to be a junior and also be world champion. Yeah, and I know people point to Hiromu's size, but I mean, you see him in there of like Ishii, like, He's about the same height, and Hiromu has put on a little bit of, of weight since, uh, you know, coming back from the last injury. I think he's thickened up a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think he, he's credible in there. I think he would be fine mixing up with some of the, the top heavyweights of New Japan. And, yeah, that, that's why I've never really been, like, a big proponent of, like, all right, we need a, a cruiserweight division in every company or junior division because, yeah, it, it gets pigeonholed. It gets seen as second-class citizens, especially in, in modern-day wrestling where most guys are smaller. I, I'm a I'm a proponent of it existing. I just, I'm not a proponent of it, like you said, being pigeonholed. Yeah. Like That's if, my opinion. Yeah, if you're going to do it, like like you mentioned, like the junior champion, it should be as prestigious as being the world champion uh, of that weight class. Master Watto has sustained a right ACL injury. We talked about that earlier. Um, he's going to be able to participate in events uh, through January and February. Changes have been made to upcoming cards. The wrestlers who, we, who will be wrestling in this place will be as follows. Road to New Beginning, February 1st, Yoshihashi. February 3rd, Hiroki Goto. February 4th, Yoshihashi. February 5th, Yo. On the 6th, Taguchi. The 8th, Kojima. The 9th, Kojima. Uh, at the New Beginning in Osaka on February 11th, Tiger Mask is taking his place. And then... Throughout the uh, Fantastic Mania tour on Fe- February 12th, Strong Machine J is taking his date. And then between February 13th and the 19th, Musashi is stepping in and filling all of those dates, um, which that feels very reminiscent to how 
um, Doki got his start in the company when he had to fulfill dates for Desperado when he was injured uh, just prior to the best Super Junior store. Yeah, I think it's perfect timing for Musashi, you know, announcing that he's leaving Mizunoku Pro. Um, according to Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Julie is now off the Windy City Riot show. Her contract expires in March, and they originally wanted her to work here and likely lose the New Japan Strong Women's title, but she was uh, she informed Bushi Road that she's now finishing in March when her deal is up. So probably going to drop that strap soon. <laughs> <laughs> Mina Shirakawa has made a challenge to Mayu Iwatani for the IWGP Women's title. Brian Danielson defeated Yuji Nagata on uh, this past week's collision. And then uh, at Red Pro High Stakes, Sunday, February 18th, Zack Sabre Jr. will be facing off against Connor Mills. One thing that's not in the news here, um, they, they made an announcement earlier today that Hiromu Takahashi has also re-signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling. That, that was on there. You, you literally read it. No, I didn't. I said Hiroshi Tanahashi. Oh, you said oh, Tanahashi, you said? Oh, my God. Yeah, I said I misread it. It said Takahashi, and I said Tanahashi. <laughs> this, this first video podcast that nobody's going to see is not going to pass. <laughs> well, Ta- Tanahashi's the president. He doesn't have to re-sign. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? He's got dual contracts. He's got to resign <laughs> as a as a talent and then resign as as the president. Those are different things. He gets two paychecks. <laughs> two checks. And that's gonna do it for the news. <laughs> uh let's run through some of these questions here. Uh Dr. Lariat says, What do you guys eat while watching Shinihon? Ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh it, it depends. If, if it's evening, I'm probably like pizza or something. Uh, getting up early, you know, getting some coffee, some breakfast. Uh, he Good also, answer. <laughs> he also asked, what uh, Puerto Rican friends was Eddie talking of? Um, uh, Los Periquas. <laughs> uh, Savio Vega. <laughs> uh, no, it has to be Homicide. TNT. Who? TNT, that's Savio Vega. He uh, wrestles TNT. Uh, Solid Deuce says, looking back, uh, how would you grade Gato's booking of young talent? What did he get right and wrong? Um, My dog sneezed in the background. Um, what he got right is... I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm getting tired. Uh, that's, a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yes, I mean... What what I don't know, Jeremy. What did you think he got right and wrong? Uh, well, I mean, he got what, what young talent? What young talent are we talking about? Are we talking about like the ones now in the past? Like I don't know. Yeah, I think it could be interpreted a couple different ways. But I mean, obviously, the Rainmaker shock he got right, and seeing that Okada was Okada and pushing him at a very young age to to do where he is now. Obviously, is a a big win. I think. The way he pushed Hiromu, um, I think Jay White, even though that didn't start out the best, I think that Jay White ended up being um, a great guy that he they graduated and pushed. Um, Will Ospreay um, was a guy that they they pushed, a young talent they pushed throughout the years. Yeah, I think that sometimes they, if they pick the right guy early enough, you can kind of just tell and they'll go with him. And then there's other guys that they're just kind of hesitant on and they'll push them to a certain level and it'll take a really long time and they never really fully get there. You know, like Juice Robinson 
kind of feels like one of those types of guys. Yeah. Or like a, like a Hiroki Goto, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes they just don't see the potential in certain guys for whatever reason. Maybe we're not privy to all the info they have. Um, sometimes it takes too long for them to really invest in the right guy. And, you know, probably a lot of that does come down to timing and what slots they have in, in their booking. You know, we, and this is something we've always talked about, how, like, we've always said that they want to push guys through this system a lot faster and get them called up quicker. But how do you do that if there, if there's already a full roster? And now we're seeing an exodus of talent leaving the company. And there's, like, rumors out there of a bunch of other guys that I don't know how valid any of it is because I haven't seen it from credible sources, but you know, there's been some pretty uh, concerning um, information coming out from Bushi roads gaming um, side of things. And it's like, they might really have serious money woes and you're wondering like how many more of these guys are going to stick around or leave. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they don't always pull the trigger on these guys fast enough or, develop them fast enough i feel like gato is a long-term booker he needs enough time to really get somebody over unless it's okada who he just fucking pulled the trigger on (laughs) yeah that's it uh let's see next questions here from hawaiian punch bb do you think that united japanese pro wrestling will spread the wealth at least on the men's side of things such as njpw's reiwa 3 dragon gate reiwa 6 the Mirai Trio, etc. BJW is also a part of this alliance, and they also need help with Japan about to ban light tubes. Yeah, I heard something about that, which is pretty crazy. Um, I think this thing is not going to happen. That's that's my hot take. I think they'll do like a show or two, and then it's just not going to be a thing. Yeah, um, we'll we'll see what happens. I think they have they already have like one show slated, but I don't expect this to be a big huge thing. They got a United Pro and they got a United Asia. They got a bunch of stuff going in. It's like they're making all these provisions. You trying to tell me they didn't know Okada was leaving? <laughs> uh, he also asked thoughts on Tokyo Dome City also being in danger. Would you argue that Cork and Hall would be a bigger loss than the Dome? The biggest names in Puro, J Kick, JMA, and Japanese Boxing all built their names in Cork and Hall. Arguably the biggest grassroots venue of its history. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, Cork and Hall has only been around since the late 80s. Prior to that, it was, uh, I think, Cork and Stadium, um, which did host shows. And there's some pretty famous stuff there. But yeah, I mean, Cork and Hall is Cork and Hall. It's like the mecca of Japanese fight sports. Uh, you know, he, he he's absolutely right. And I'm, I'm very nervous about the potential of losing those two venues yeah it would it would suck uh don homie 101 does predict the next five iwgp world heavyweight title reigns no <laughs> uh who's more likely to win the iwp iwp world heavyweight title this year john moxley or zach saber jr i'm gonna say zach but uh, that's a toss-up uh, i'm gonna put my money on zach right now um, he says, "Let's talk about the hottest free agent in the wrestling world. What company do you think Tamatonga will land in?" I don't know. It could really be. I'm gonna say TNA. Yeah, we. I think we said that last week. Yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna cross the line, 
and he's going to go to uh, yeah, TNA Impact. Uh, with Tamatonga wrestling his final match in the company, what will be his lasting legacy in New Japan? What are your guys' favorite Tamatonga matches or moments in New Japan? Didn't we answer this already? Uh, yeah, it sounds familiar. I think we might have done that one last week. Um, let's see. JSK2002, if you could take one wrestler who's retired or no longer on the roster and add him to a faction, what wrestler would it be and which faction? The wrestler can't be coming back to an old faction, though. So, for example, Nakamura couldn't be added to Chaos again. I'd probably have a young Keiji Muto take over Chaos. Oh, so I can bring back any wrestler from any time period? Mm-hmm. All right, well, Inoki. <laughs> and who? Do, what faction is he leading? Chaos. <laughs> that there's your new your new layer of chaos. Um, <laughs> Taking over Lij Los Ingrenables Inoki. <laughs> um, uh, I think uh, if you could bring back Hashimoto. Um, oh, I would love that. Um, I would fuck people up. Yeah. I don't know what faction I put him in. Probably I'd probably have him be, be Hontai. United just... Empire. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the be. Bullet Club. <laughs> Hashimoto Club. Yeah. Um, this next user's name, I'm not sure. It's a bunch of L, Y, and Ks. It doesn't it. matter. We got a question from some, <laughs> some, somebody. Says, uh, what do you think of them immediately running back the world title in junior tag title matches? The world title makes sense, kind of. The junior tags... This will be their fifth match since July, and Wrestle Kingdom was really framed as the blow-off. This one makes no sense to me. I agree. I, I don't... Now, the only thing that makes sense about it is we're getting that cage match, and it fits within the framework of the greater feud, but it is a little bit of an overkill, especially since we've seen this so many times recently, and it's to diminishing returns. I feel like the matches are getting worse than they <laughs> were in the beginning. Well, now um, we got the Oswong spit, yeah. spit and miss every match. Yeah, plus like I'm I'm a little nervous about what the potential like character development with uh, Francesco Akira might be coming out of all this. So mm. um it, it's an uncertain time. Might be good, but it also could suck. So um <laughs> Yeah. You know, with the title thing, I don't know. That's that's a little bewildering. I, I kinda get it, but like honestly, the last time they did a a rematch of the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm just this is off the top of my head. I, I can't say 100% this is the case, but I feel like it was when Tanahashi defended the IC title against Nakamura, and then they ran it back at New Beginning. And that was that, that was like 2013. You know, we're talking a decade. Like, it's very rare that they rematch that, you know, that main event. Yeah. Uh, so here's a question here from Def Triangle 720. Do you think it's time New Japan should be scouting some Japanese talent instead of Gaijin talent? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, they, they they're getting Musashi, so boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, I don't know why you can't do both, but yeah, definitely. I think they could maybe scout some more Japanese talent. Um, he says if you had to pick, I, I think it, what it is is like. New Japan fans are like, we got to get some Japs in here because if if we keep hiring these white men, they're going to keep taking the money and leaving. We need people that, that are domestic, that speak the language, who who are not appealing to <laughs> Tony Khan. You know, that's what we're looking for. Someone that Tony Khan doesn't want. Someone that, that you know, Triple H doesn't want. That's what we need. Ocon. <laughs> yeah, we need like we need like five more Ocons. People like that, that's what we need. 
Uh, he says, uh, if you had to pick one talent from any Japanese company in New Japan, who would it be? Oh, um, uh, tough question. Um, uh, let's go uh, Nakajima. Nakajima is a good pick. I would probably. What's wrong with me? I'm I'm tired and I'm forgetting names. Who's the ace of fucking all Japan? Oh, um, Kento Miyahara. Yeah, I take Miyahara. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, it says, let's say chaos has to torture United Empire all to span. What new factions can you make with the talent afterward? Plenty of them. <laughs> uh, at this point, is it time New Japan just kill the Folly Dojo? I don't think they're. I, I can't say a hundred percent, but I don't think they're actually really affiliated. I don't think they get any money or any funding. I think it's just sort of like a brother Vanity brother project. <laughs> I think it's a brother brother thing. It's like, eh, he's he's under contract. He's one of our guys. We'll support him. But I don't think it's like actually I mean, for it was the last time you saw someone come from the Folly Dojo to New Japan. It's been a minute. <laughs> um speak- I wonder how that investigation into all their wrongdoings is going. Mm. <laughs> Let's just focus on the positive. Um <laughs> Uh, but speaking of dojos, the uh, the Peaky Blinder says, "How is the young boy's training going at the side dojo, especially with trying to fit in all his studies?" I'm not training for wrestling right now. I'm trying to find a place to train. <laughs> well, side dojo is uh, no more, right? I don't. I mean, side dojo is like you know, it's Matt's thing. So it's like you know, it's a state of being. You got to use your third eye. You know, tune in to drop out that sort of shit. Yeah, do a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know exactly what the uh future is of Saido Joe right now. I talked to him the other day, but uh they want they want me to go to this other class. I don't want to go. So wrestling wrestling lab. Well, they want me to go to lab, but they don't want me to train train with Jay, which like I don't know if I want to train with Jay because like I, I think he might you know, I think he might be a sex offender, but um, <laughs> allegedly, I mean, allegedly, but alleged by so many different people at some point, I think it's highly likely that he's probably a, a, a sex pest. But um, so I don't know if I want to train with that guy, but they, they want me to train with Mercury. And I've been told maybe not to. Luckily, nobody in Florida is listening to this, but like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you never know. You never know. These Florida guys, you never know. Uh, Rainbow and Slam picks says historically NJPW has seemed to be less concerned about scandals and bad behavior related to foreign wrestlers. With the mainstream press that Vince McMahon's newest scandal has brought, do you think that the corporate office at Bushi Road will take notice and make changes to those policies, or are they too far removed to worry about even a huge scandal in American wrestling? Bro, we don't know shit about the way Bushi Road runs, so I couldn't even begin to speculate about how any of that works in Japan for mm-hmm. their offices or their corporate. I have no clue. Yeah. I don't know about the corporate side, but as far as the, when it comes to like pushing Western talent that have a history, I think they're going to keep doing what they're doing. As long as it's not a, a big deal and they can run in Japan. I think that they're going to, they're going to bring people in like that. Um, he says, which faction do each of you find most intriguing right now? Has that answer changed in light of the roster shakeup at the beginning of the year? I'm not interested in any faction right now in New Japan. Actually, that's the truth. 
Um, I don't think that there's anything very exciting going on with any individual faction. I, I, I do love the feud that's going on with War Dogs United Empire, but it's an imperfect feud because I, I'm not the 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 leadership of both groups is so skewed and and in question. It's hard for me to really be invested. Plus, you know, Kata's leaving. Um, a lot of the just five guys, the leader Sonata, like Naito's probably gonna retire soon. Like I don't know. None of these groups are are doing it for me right now. I mean, there's a lot of great talent in, in New Japan and great feuds and stories, but. I'm not even really that much of a faction guy to begin with. I'm not. I'm not usually someone who's like, "Fuck yeah, fucking United Empire," you know. Like, Crowns up. <laughs> Crowns up. I don't care. Um, you know, I I love the United Empire versus War Dogs feud, um, but I I don't know if I have like a faction that I'm like really like. I love United Empire for their whole run, but you know, obviously Osprey's leaving now. Um, I feel like TMDK. Could be something cool to get behind, but they always lose. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm not really. I'm, I gotta wait and see what these guys are gonna do this year. I do like TMDK. Now that you say, it's just I forget about them because yeah, they always lose. But I like their new orange attire. If that's something. Oh yeah, the orange gear was raw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Discord Daddy says, other than Mox, will we see any other first-time challengers for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship in 2024? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, Umino? I'm going to say, I'll say, no, Suji's already challenged. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes, Suji's yeah. already challenged. Yeah, Umino, yeah. Uh, second question, says the KOPW title becoming the Japanese Regional Revitalization Championship is it Ocon's destiny to become a folk hero in cultural gymnasiums in far-flung prefectures across the country? <laughs> yeah, he's going to be like Jeet Rama in Tampa. <laughs> um, last two questions here from Naveth. Uh, says, is chaos a faction anymore? Also, do you think this is the year NJPW updates and or disbands factions when key members leave? I hope so, because... I think they they need to shake up with a lot of this stuff and i mean united empire was great but something's got to change there just five guys man sonata is like not doing it <laughs> yeah and that kind of plays into his next question if there's a shakeup, who would you like to see together in a faction and why you know in my opinion the main thing is uh, the factions are storytelling i other people don't see it this way. Other people like truly, and maybe I'm calling them marks right now, but there are people that truly really deeply invest in these factions. You know what I mean? Like, like they're like, I'm a, I'm a bullet club person or whatever the fuck for me, they're just devices to get people over. So the, usually whoever is leading the faction is the main eventer and involved in the main event title scene or one of the top titles. And right now, all of that is very skewed. And then the people underneath, you usually want to see like some up-and-coming rising stars or juniors or tag teams that you're excited about, like that kind of round out the faction in a way to where everyone can work through and get elevated and you know facilitate stories and stuff like that. Um, but like right now, the groups just don't feel the way like you know when 
like Suzuki Goon had that like sort of familial group thing going on or like lij at like their zenith like that, that nobody's like vibing like that and the leaders of these groups just i don't know zach's probably the best leader in new japan right now mm-hmm. yeah i mean like we talked about i would love to see shingo kind of break off and lead his own group um I mean, I, I, I feel like most of the young guys should be leading their own groups because in some ways they're better than a lot of the talent that's in the company right now. Yeah, like you said, again, using the group as a, a device to get them over. Yeah, if Umino's leading his own group, if um, Suji's leading his own group, like I think that kind of helps get them over as a main eventer. It's like, oh, he's a leader. He has a group following him. So, yeah, it'd be cool if the young guys that eventually all get their own factions. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up with the questions. Uh, real quick, recommended match of the week. Uh, last week, I recommended that we watch Big Cope, Adam Copeland, take on Minoru Suzuki from uh, Dynamite this past Wednesday. Yeah, I was I was confused about what the Kapopin was. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck's the Kapopin? Who, who's that? I guess he's having an open challenge called the Cope Open. Yeah. So that's cool. Um this match was fun. It was definitely something like straight out of a fire pro wrestling type match. Uh, very, I mean, it only went nine minutes, so it wasn't like they got a lot, a lot of time, but the crowd was really into it. And seeing um, Adam Copeland kind of, you know, trade blows with Tomohiro, I'm sorry, with uh, Minoru Suzuki was sort of like, uh, you know, you didn't expect to see that. So it's, sort of got a novelty to it and i thought it was a fun match full of cool shit the one two bad things with it was like suzuki can't bump bro i don't know what the (laughs) fuck's going on but like he he was not he was trying to take bumps and a few times throughout the match i mean he still moves well he moves well he can strike well he's got the character thing down but when it comes time to fall down on that mat, like he's having some trouble. I don't think he wants to. That's a problem. He's like, I'm oh, his, I, he must be hurt or something. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna do this like half bump, and <laughs> this was worse than that. This was like to me what it looked like. It looked like somebody who can't bump, so they're trying to, you know, um, adjust for that or yeah. whatever. Like that, Compen- Rick, that, like trying to compensate. Yeah, the, that Ric Flair like side back body no, bone. No, no this is worse than that this was like i can't fall down so i'm gonna go go down on my hands and knees because i can't fall i can't take he didn't take any flat face bumps like he couldn't fall flat on his face which is weird that's like the safer of the two bumps mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if he's got like joint issues or what's going on and yeah he, he was struggling but the match was fun it was very fun and uh you know i'm coping one i'd, I'd go like for a nine-minute match, like three and a half, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it's fun match, and that that's a real like wild match. You never thought like Edge versus Suzuki. Like I never thought that match would ever happen. And yeah, it was cool to see. Uh, obviously, it was a more Suzuki style match with a strong style hitting and stuff like that. And yeah, I thought uh, Cope did a good job. And yeah, really fun match. Yeah, I'm glad to see a you know you kind of com- contrast that with like. You know, CM Punk when he was there, he was doing you know Bret Hart jerk off matches. <laughs> Adam Copeland's out here and he's he's clanging and banging with the you know the, the god of Perezu, so it was mm. pretty cool. Um, and then last week I recommended 
the Soberano Jr. versus Atlantis Jr. Two out of three falls match from December 22nd from CMLL Super Viernes, Friday night Arena Mexico show. And uh, I watched this. I thought it was pretty awesome. Yo, this match was dope. I took a lot of notes on this match. Um, so this was a, a two out of three fall match. Uh, first of all, um, Atlantis has a big suicide dive to the outside. Trash another one. He gets kicked. And then uh, Silverado does like an outside to the inside uh, moonsault and gets the first fall really quick. Then they start the second fall. Uh, Soberano is, you know, throwing him to the rails. Um, he's um, untying the mask, gets a kiss from a girl on the outside. Um, but then Atlantis comes back, does a power slam on a frog splash. He wins the second fall. Um, and then third fall goes, Atlantis doing a bunch of tilt-to-world backbreakers, followed by head scissors. There's a big tope can hello. Uh, Soberano does the the dude buster onto the apron to Atlantis. That was absolutely nuts. Um, he follows it up with a Fosbury flop. Um, Atlantis comes back as a super arm drag uh, for a near fall in the ring. Um, does a wheelbarrow suplex for a near fall, and they're out on the stage. Um, he does an arm drag off the stage to uh, Soberano, and then he follows up with the with the, uh, the perk angle. Jump off the the ramp dive to him, which was nuts. Um, then he did the the plancha where he runs down the ramp, does the crossbody into the ring. Soberano reverse momentum uh, goes for a tornillo off the top, um, but then Atlantis eventually gets him up in the torture rack and gets the submission victory. Yeah, I, I actually I don't think it's quite a torture rack, but it's a it's like a. I don't know what they call kind of like it. It's Argentine, I guess, backbreaker. Backbreaker, yeah. yeah. It's it's the same move that his dad used for years as his finish. So it's very famous. You know, it's usually when uh when Atlantis would put somebody up in that, if he got it, they tapped out very quickly, and that's exactly what happened here. Um, I, I do think that this match could have had a little bit more time and maybe a few more big moves and uh, near falls, but all in all, I thought it was a great story. It very much was in the vein of like a major, you know, um, Lucha Libre arena, Mexico, like title match outline. Um, very much in that vein with the two out of three falls. Usually in those matches, you get like the very quick first and second fall. And then the match really starts during the third fall. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did here. But I, I thought the crowd was hot. They, they were really into this. And uh, I thought it was a great story. I went like, four and a quarter on it. I don't, I don't know if it's quite the threshold of what I would consider for like our match of the year contender for excursion matches, but it's not far off. And if you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it. Yeah. I'm also four and a quarter. Um, yeah, it started off kind of slow, but yeah, once they got into like the halfway to third fall, like they were doing some crazy stuff and really heating up and like, had they did that pace the whole match, it probably would have been more of a four and a half, four and three quarters, but Hey, four and a quarter, still a great match. Definitely. I think recommend uh, going out and watching that match if anybody hasn't already. Uh, this Wednesday, um, this is off subject, but this Wednesday, first time ever one on one, John Moxley's wrestling Jeff Hardy on Dynamite. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, you got anything for our recommended match? Do you? Uh, I was gonna say I didn't watch the Danielson Nagata match, so I was gonna say let's uh, review that next week. Okay, great. And I am going to recommend the much heralded Will Ospreay versus Josh Alexander uh, rematch that just took place from Snake Eyes. And I think Dave Meltzer gave it like five, five and a half, five and a half. 
I don't think it's going to be five. It's gonna, it's one of the greatest matches of all time. Definitely the greatest TNA match that's ever happened. But I'm hearing great things, so maybe maybe it is. But I I just five and a half, Dave. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But um, it sounds awesome. I, their first match was very good. So yeah. Well, that's going to wrap things up here for us this week. Next week, we will be back to review these uh, Road to New Beginning Cork and Hall shows. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media on X. Follow us at KI Strong Style, at Social Suplex, and at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, follow us at Facebook.com slash Social Suplex and the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy, and Josh is keeping a strong style. You can join our Social Suplex Discord server to interact with us and other wrestling fans. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, One Nation Radio with Rich Latta and James Boyd, All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumowitz, Imps WWE Adventure with the Implications, Matthew Mayer, Wrestling Art with Chris Things, Tunnel Talk with Allie, Ann, and Leah, and the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.